This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing that. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. And your suffering will be legendary even in hell. <laughs> it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're On our show tonight, Howling Under the Full Moon, we will explore Charles Band's Empire Full Moon Entertainment. We've got trancers, sci-fi epics, and vampires all in one place. When you need a break from reality, let our host show you through the madhouse of killer bombs, psychopathic cookies, and maniacal puppets. Don't be a squid and join us in the fun. like a safe haven from the raging storm. It's an odd kind of place. Uh, where'd your folks get it from, Boris Karloff? Their hosts seemed like the essence of hospitality. Stay here as long as you like. Wonderful. But appearances can be very deceiving. What's the matter? Afraid of the dog? Well, yeah. Of course not. What's there to be afraid of? It's hot. Oh, don't be. You like toys. I'm a doll maker. I make the most wonderful toys. Dolls, puppets, soldiers, ballerinas. Nobody wants a doll that's special anymore. That's one of a kind. The weather brings out creativity. It helps me in my work. What kind of work is that? Witchcraft? Never too old to play with dolls. Until 
All right, folks, welcome to Cinema Degeneration. Once again, we are recording Howling at the Full Moon, our show that encompasses everything Empire International's pictures, Full Moon pictures, everything within the Charles Band universe. And this week, I'd like to welcome my guest, Tim O'Sabin of the Tim O and Harley Show. Howdy. How you doing, Cameron? I am doing great. Uh, I'm tired. Yeah? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm very tired, but... Uh, just tired of life in general or just <laughs> no, no just just had a very long night stayed up uh late editing and then got up early to make sure i had my notes all together and everything for the show suffering for your art yeah suffering to bring bring people some entertainment in these uh trying times I guess. absolutely absolutely well that's what we're all trying to do all right well this week we are doing a, a empire internationals picture mm-hmm uh, we are doing the Stuart Gordon directed Dolls from 1987, mm-hmm. and give the quick IMDb storyline slash synopsis right here, and see how how correct and to the point it is. All right, a group of travelers spend the night in the mansion of an elderly couple who are doll makers. However, one of the travelers' childrens discover that the dolls the couple makes are actually humans that the couple had miniaturized and turned into tools for their evil plans. I don't know if I completely agree with that uh, summary. I mean, it's kind of partially right on, but it's like... It's it's sort of what happens, I guess. Yeah, it's sort of what happens, but to me, there seems to be so much more to it. Yeah. Um, A little little bit of the history of this film, and to get a a little bit of... uh, perspective here Stuart gordon the auteur who did uh reanimator and from beyond did this film which is more of a kind of a pg-13 ish take on things than we're used to from uh old Stuart gordon but this was done around the same time as from beyond mm-hmm. and actually i think this was done before from what it i was. Uh, that was done before from beyond was finished but it had so much post-production that it came out afterwards that is correct yep david allen's stop motion stuff took a long time yeah yeah because yeah david allen and uh john carl john carl uh, beekler had yes. done a lot of the effects and that stop motion animation though is so good it, it is uh, that's good. one of the things i've come to love about some of the charles brand produced stuff is seeing david allen's work mm-hmm. he was Really good. I mean, you know, we pretty much owe, uh, you know, the Puppet Master series to him. Right. Right. But it just, yeah. it's such a, a stark contrast of a film from From Beyond. From Beyond is a dirty film, damn near X rated if you see the, you know, the uh, the unrated cut. And then right. you got something like this, which is, you know, albeit a, a creepy film as it is, but it's, it's more geared towards kids, you know what I mean? It's more of a, like, I, I, I would say you can almost put this up as, like, a double feature with something like Ghoulies or... Um, Company of Wolves. Even cr- Company of Wolves, Critters, even, you know, it's like that kind of, like, fun-loving mm-hmm. kind of horror, you know? It's just, I don't, I don't well, know. What's a real fairy tale. I mean, fairy tales yes. were... We, we think of fairy tales from our childhood, like, almost through the prism of Disney. Well, that's not what fairy tales were. Their days, horror films. That was that was the horror stories from from old, days of yore, days of old. Right. And they weren't. They were for kids, but they were teaching kids that the world is a rough place. Well, all and the so, stuff was just that very grim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I think that. Well, even Stuart Gordon said that this 
is a fairy tale. Um, well, there's a mention. It was of supposed fairies. to be. It was supposed to be rougher. It was supposed to be uh, much more gore. I know Charlie Band wanted something heavier, but the way the movie kept going, Stuart Gordon was just like it. Just it just felt that way. It was just a fairy tale, and I think it's. I think it's great to see the contrast between From Beyond and this. Personally, I mean, I, I like both movies a lot, but Dolls, I think, as I think, it's got longer legs. I think it's got sturdier legs. I think Dolls will be, and it's kind of happening already that I think Dolls uh, does hold up better. It is, it is having a longer life, um, and From Beyond is sort of lost there because of Reanimator. I think a little yeah. bit. I think it's overshadowed by it a bit, which I think is a little unfair. Uh, I think they're both very different films still. And you're right. I think From Beyond is one of the few movies that I, especially horror films, that I actually refer to as sexy. I think yeah, it's, it's a sexy film. Um, and I think that Barbara Crampton is very sexy in the film. I just think it has a lot to do with sex, too, um, in a real deep, deep way. And this movie, as you're talking about, is much more of a kid's a kid's horror film, a, a true kid's horror film, uh, which, yeah, they used to call it fairy tales. Well, you know, I mean, uh, the two main characters is, you know, our, our children. Well, one is, is, is a child is, you know, is a roughly 10 year old girl. And, you know, then you have Ralph, right. who Stephen, Stephen Lee's character. It, he's just a big kid. He's just a kid in, you know, an adult's body. So right. it's essentially, you know, you, you have like a monster squad type cast, you know what I mean? Where they're just mm -hmm. kids or big kids. Right. And you know, right off from the get go, it starts off. Now, I have to say, I, 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 I have never met Carolyn Purdy Gordon, I, you know, uh, Stuart Gordon's late, uh, his late wife. I've never met her and never seen her at a convention, so I don't know her personally. But every role she plays, in, especially in his movies, she is such a raging bitch. She, <laughs> she has the best side eye in the business. She's got the best wrestling yeah. bitch face in the business. She's, she's the embodiment of Cruella DeVille. I've seen her say that she enjoyed playing that type of character because she was very good at it. She was at home, and it was one of those uh, releases. She could let that side of her personality out. I think she was much sweeter than than all of that. Um, but she did, and she, I mean, for better or for worse, and for an actor, I think for better, she had a mean look to her. She looked mean. Uh, whatever yeah. that means. But she looked mean. Yeah. I've been told I look like a dick, too. You know? So she looks mean. And so well, I, it helps. I seem to notice uh, some, some things in my acting career that has led to me being always being a bad guy. So I guess I have one of those kind of faces as well. But, you know, if, if, as long as it gets you work, Sure. You know, the worst thing is to not work, I guess. So, you know, hey, if it gets you work, I mean, yeah. she's like full on threatening the kid with bodily harm. Doesn't give a shit. You know, like, hey, you know, your dad can't whoop you, but I sure the fuck can, you know, yeah. and like she never has a, a kind word to say, like in the in the movie. So she's a, an instant, uh, you know, the person you just can't wait to see die. Right. Well, it's the whole movie itself is cast. Very, very well and very appropriately. I think that the Stephen Lee character, like you're saying, he immediately looks like a nice guy and he has an affable <laughs> way about him. And, you know, I think that um, 
Oh, who is the other guy? Ian Ian Williams? Ian Patrick Williams? Is that who it is? The, the, dad, the, the, yeah, the, the father. The, yeah, the, the father. Place, he he was, looks like yeah. yeah, he looks like an average Joe who the effects team got a hold of him and put a whole William Cat bodysuit on him. And he looks like <laughs> a jerky kind of yeah. William Cat. And we all know William Cat's a very nice person, but he looks like yeah. a he is kind of a jerky William Cat. And and what's what's really cool about his character is that you can tell he knows he's supposed to be better to his daughter, but he's so wrapped up in him and his new wife's thing that that's really what makes you not like his character is the fact that he sides with Carolyn instead of his own daughter over anything and never really defends Corel DeVille against the daughter, you know, and stuff. Right. So you know, you're right away set up for something interesting in the eighties. I always thought, which was, I thought time bandits did this really good too. It presents you with a child character whose parents are not sympathetic and you don't think they sh- that those parents deserve a child, basically. No, they most certainly do not deserve the child. Right. I mean, you know, and, and it bears repeating, uh, not repeating, but mentioning that, you know, uh, the character David and Rosemary, uh, Rosemary is not uh, little Judy Bowers, uh, is not her mother. She's Correct. her evil stepmother. So you got the whole, like, fairy tale of the evil the evil stepmother you know sure. mode going on so i mean it, it starts out as any movie in the 80s does there's a storm there's a uh you know a, an old back road they get stuck of course he gets his you know expensive mercedes or whatever stuck and um you what know, the hell are all those people doing out there let's yeah, just let's, and let's cut straight to the chase <laughs> Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like one, have you seen the old dark go? house from the 30s the old the, the movie yes. the old dark house it's the same kind of thing yeah like, what? uh Boris. yeah yeah what 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 on earth first of all why are all these people there at the same time to begin with but even on a sunny day why are they all there at the same time why, why do they why are they all there like there's during a torrential rainstorm there's no six characters in the whole there's six characters in the whole movie and one, one two three so yeah, actually, all six of them. I had to count them. Like all six of them just happened to be going down this road at the exact same time, get their car stuck pretty much at the exact same time, and end up at the the same house within three minutes of each other. Right. You know right. the the two girls hitchhiking that Rosemary almost runs over in the beginning. I, I love the line where uh, he uh, where the dad. David says, you know, like, you almost hit those girls back there. He's just like, well, do you want me to go by and give it another shot or give it a second try? <laughs> yeah. Like, God damn. You know, uh, <laughs> right. Like, well, and that's, the thing is, it's come like, on, it, there's, yeah, there's, there's, a, it's got a universal flavor to it. Like some of the universal horror films or what the hell country was at, you know, like, where are they at? I mean, pick an accent, pick an well, accent. Yeah, and that's the know, thing too with these people. They, some... they have diff- yeah, different accents and they, and then you're thinking, well, okay, well, what part of England is this? And then you find out, oh, actually, they're just outside Rome. <laughs> right, they're out, like, they're oh. shot in Rome, but they have girls with English accents. They have an old German couple, and then the Americans that just happen to be all in this country that you don't really fucking know where it is. It's you know, it was this, it was this like in every one of those old Frankenstein films that the, yeah, the, the country yeah. changed. Yeah, but you know, yeah. they 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 get to this. Old old house, and then uh, you have to mention that they th- the the evil bitch Rosemary throws away little Judy's um, pet bear, not pet bear, but teddy bear, yeah, yeah. And there's there's this it's 
Judy has an overactive imagination and mm-hmm. she sees things that aren't necessarily there. Like as the dad says many times, as several times over the films, what was it this time? Ghosts, goblins, little grand men, you know, pie plates, you know, right. but she sees after the evil Rosemary throws her teddy bear into the woods, the bear comes back eight foot tall and then tears through a bear that's inside the bear. It was a bear within a bear. I don't understand right. that. That's what she saw. It wasn't, you know, this is a a, a, a momentary, not, not flashback, but a momentary vision that she has. And the right. bear tears through the, the outfit, rips off Rosemary's arms, claws the, them, eats them up. And all she can think of to say is this, oh, Teddy. Like, <laughs> this kid is going to be a little Stephen King when she grows up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Kind of, well, it's going to be worse for those parents, too. So, yeah. She's got right, right, yeah. a it's whole lot be... of hopes. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So they, they look across, they basically across the street, you know, or across this little dirt road is this house. It is basically a mansion slash castle. Beautiful location. Yeah. The, the mansion is, was very beautiful. I know they shot in uh, Italy, so that's some beautiful architecture. But, I think they actually um, built that. That's a set. Believe it or not. It, wasn't I'm, the... I'm, the interiors were wasn't the the interiors were but like I the think, exterior. I think some of the, I think some of the exteriors were too. It looks like a location to me too. But I I for some reason I thought that that might have been some sort of mat shot or something. But that 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 was actually shot inside some big studios. I think that uh, De Laurentiis used to use. And I did read something about that. Yes. Yeah. Now I, I can't. So we I wasn't there. I'm not saying for sure. I do know the interiors were definitely. That was that was definitely in a big a big studio uh, that that he used that, that Dino used to use, and I, I think they said that there was like props from like Barbarella laying around and weird stuff like uh-huh. that. Yeah, <laughs> so I think Can't even and that's a weird thing happened. about it. It's so and look, let's let's be frank too. Charlie Band movies were like that because he shot in Rome or Romania sometimes too to save a buck to stay away from Screen Actors Guild. You know, and things like that. I know there's varying mm-hmm. opinions on that and everything, but that's what he did to say to make to be able to finance or make the money or make the movie. And if I'm not mistaken, too, I think that same location or same set was used for From Beyond as well. Yes. I think that's how they they afforded to make dolls was to say, well, we're going to have to make this here and just redress it. You know, basically, which is a, why not hammer? How many hammer movies were shot in the same? <laughs> If you watch camera oh, movies, they're all like in the same shot, that the same, same square two mile. castles. Yeah, you yeah. know, yeah, right. Yeah. So, which I'm fine with. I'm fine. different, you know, eighty-seven different angles, but you know, it's been the same yeah. castle. Right, right. I'm fine with it. It feels like home, though. You know, I watch those movies, and it's great. But yeah, they, yeah, inadvertently, like, the the plot itself, like, is 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 so much like, yeah, that just happens. We're not really going to explain it. Yeah, yeah just, plot, and, and that's what's very fairy taleish about it too, because these people seem like they could all be coming from different parts of the world, inexplicably bumping into each other and having this experience together. So that's very strange and very fairy tale like too. Almost like they're not even on Earth anymore in a way. It, yeah, it could seem like that somewhere else because it's it it's the the plot is very you know I, I don't want to say this in a bad way, but it's very threadbare. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not much as this people end up at a spooky old house and dolls come to life and start killing people. I mean, that's pretty much essentially what you have. But it's it's so 
you know, just lucid in a way. It's just very dreamlike. It's like, okay, you know, like we're just gonna bite on faith that these people all just happen to be in the same place the right at the same time. But it is what it is. Fun about horror films though is that you have to kind of you have to allow yourself to just go with it. That's what we say on my podcast, especially Ben Harley was introduced to Italian films basically by me. And when you're sitting there watching something by Fulci or Argeno, you guys go with it, man. You got to yeah. go with it. You got to let it happen, you know, and it just is because it is. That's right. They're not trying to make sense to you. They're trying to make a entertainment or they're trying to make an experience for you, you know. And so when you're when you're scrambling around for plot and for reasoning, it's not always going to be there. But given that this movie has that <clears throat> has that flavor, I think it's fitting. I think that the who gives a shit how they got there, I think is fitting for the mystical feel of the movie and it sort of takes you out of a time you really don't it does it takes it out of a period it makes it like this could happen anytime anywhere in a way right. besides the car basically is about it and maybe what they're dressed like and the punk rock music and stuff but you almost think that they could have come from different decades so they're they're like slipping through time almost too well, when it, you it, get to what yeah. um, uh, Ralph's car at the end, that old car that he had, like, when, when what, like, time period was that even from? Right. It was like right. the late twenties, early thirties, and like, and what was he doing? Just like an American in this weird country, just ro- tooling around in an old Rolls Royce or whatever. Right. It and just didn't make it didn't make sense. But then again, it's not really supposed to. Right. And I would sit here and tell you that, you know, I think this might be taking place back in the 1920s, except for the two girls are punk rockers who have a what we used to call a boombox, you know, that they're they're playing their supposed punk rock music on and stuff. And so it's like, well, they're clearly from that era, from one from what, 87 that came out, I guess it was filmed in 85. I mean, they're they're clearly from that that era. You don't really know where the mom and dad and the girl come from. What era they could come from, and their car is a little odd too. You can't really tell. And then the other girls is walking. Where did they walk from? Yeah, where did they like? Where, I think you know personally. I think that the two punk rocker girls were with uh, Isabel and Enid. Was it uh, the other one? I think I so. Don't remember their names, but yes. But yeah. um, I think they were moving from as we used to call them back in the day, a mark. They were moving from mark to mark because they were obviously you know the first thing they talk about is how they're when they arrive at the at the house at the uh the hartwick mansion you know they're talking about like rolling uh ralph morris's character right. over because while it steal his keys and steal his car i think they were just punk rock girls that were moving from place to place stealing and ro- ripping place you know places off and just moving on to the next mark and i, I think they I, probably I it didn't work that. out well for them you know and that's why they were on foot right i agree with that i still want to know where they're walking from yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Why did you get there? Like, if you had a mark before, why did you allow yourself be dropped off there? And like, <laughs> where are you going? Oh, you just thought you'd find your next one standing next to a sheep. Like, I don't understand what. And maybe, maybe that's actually not a bad idea. To be quite frank with you, yeah, maybe they thought about rolling over some old uh, sheep farmer or something. Yeah. I don't know. Old but, old Merle over here might be getting tired of old sheep, Betty. And here's some women for you. How about that? <laughs> we got some women folk over here. Yeah. You might get tired of the sheep. So here you go. You know, but yeah, I, I, that was really odd too. But again, I think it does lend to the whole mystical, magical kind of feel of the movie. Um, yes. 
like yeah, I said, it is yeah. much a fairy tale, and they even make mentions of fairies and, and you know elves and stuff like that in the 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 film itself. Yeah, they're not hiding what it is. They're not hiding what it is, and I yeah, and I know that the movies. I know this movie is is a um, it's a little contentious for some people. I think because they they want they want to see something more what they consider Stuart Gordony. Well, if you know Stuart Gordon's film career, even after this into the '90s and beyond. He wasn't a one-trick pony. The man made a lot of different types of films. Um, and I think it's unfair. I mean, I really do. I think I don't see why. I think it's very cool the guy that made Reanimator made this movie. I do. The, the guy, I mean, the, to go from within the same year of making, you know, from beyond to this, it showed, like, exactly like you said, he wasn't a one-trick pony. I mean, right. if you ever seen uh, a movie he did in 2007 called Stuck, uh-huh. that, was, that was a decent film. Not one of my favorites, but it was, you know, it was different than anything else he's done. You know, I mean, God, Space Truckers, Robot Chocks, you know. The, mean, one that you really, the one that really is interesting to me, that really made me think, and, and to this day, I'm not sure what I think about it, and I think that's the point of the film was a movie called King of the Ants. And we have not seen that. I it's that or Edmund I, uh, that he's done. I haven't that's seen good, too. And those are kind of the movies I'm a little more talking about. I mean, that is, to me, like, sort of those films are all diversity within the same... Uh, diversity within genre. Those <laughs> movies, though, I, I don't know what they are. Like, I don't know what kind of movies those are. And they're not, you would never guess they were Stuart Gordon movies either. Never. I mean, I I think you could watch From Beyond and Reanimator and know those two movies were made by the same guy. But there was a lot of the same people working on those films too. You know, I mean, including Jeffrey Combs being around, you know, and Barbara Crampton and stuff. So there, there was definitely connections going on. But yeah, I just. To be frank with you, this is my favorite Stuart Gordon movie. Dolls is. Really? Yes, absolutely. I, there's no doubt in my mind that this is my favorite Stuart Gordon movie. Uh, and it was my favorite Stuart Gordon movie as soon as I saw it. So I saw it after Reanimator. I really liked Reanimator. But I thought Reanimator was a kitchen sink movie. And sometimes I, can, I don't like oversensitized things. Like, I hated Natural Born Killers. Because it just threw shit at you constantly. And I'm like, I, I just, what the hell's going on? Relax. <laughs> it's like I want to tell a movie. Relax. Just tell me well, what you're I can explain uh, Natural Born Killers in one word. Cocaine. <laughs> well, sure. That's that was so Oliver Stone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I don't want my cocaine in a movie. I don't no, want no, acid no. in a movie usually either. You know, but I, so. No, no, no. So, so <laughs> I think this movie, I can watch this movie with my parents. And I can watch this movie with you. I can watch this movie with my kids. And it's okay for, I think it's, there's nothing in it uh, that would be super objectionable. Nor do I think it's really pulling any punches. No, I mean, Um, there's no, no sexual activity. There's no nudity. There's no real, I mean, a lot of the violence, you know, is... It, there's no like person on person violence. It's all puppetry and stuff, which became a yes mm-hmm. a motif for uh, Full Moon after 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 this movie with Puppet Master. Right. You know, I think that like this is the movie that probably gave birth to the idea of like, hey, we can do this Puppet Master thing. 
which then oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah and there's I, a little yeah. like um that's a little segue there um guy rolf who plays yes. uh, uh god i can't remember uh the, the character in the movie he played well he played in this movie he plays uh gabriel hartwick mm-hmm. but he was my one of my favorite old-timey actors i i loved him in mr sardonicus yeah 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 that's uh, a 61 great movie, movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a great like, movie. Yeah, when we were getting ready to do this. I I had it on the DVR to recorded when Spanguli showed it months ago, but I kept it on there. I actually, after watching Dolls, went to watch Mister Sardonicus after this, just mm-hmm. because because Guy Rolf is just commanding. But yeah. he ended up playing Andre Toulon in like three or four of the Puppet Master sequels. I have mm-hmm. lost track actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was he was great, and and it's funny too because I think even Stuart Gordon says that he wanted Guy Roth because of Mr. Sardonicus. And Mr. Sardonicus is one of those, you don't even care it's a William Castle movie. Even though it's gimmicky and stuff like that, there's something different about that film. That it's a very gothic film. There's really not a whole lot that happens. But you're, you're compelled when you're looking at it. Yeah, you and, find yourself hanging on the edge of your seat, although it's not a very like fast-moving film no. know, at all. It plunks no. along, right, right, right. And I, I, I think that that's a, um, it, it's like a secret handshake for horror fans. Mister Sardonicus is. You got to really be a horror fan to know what Mister Sardonicus is. It's not that people didn't see it or kids didn't see it back when it came out, but it isn't like a movie that was playing all the time in the eighties when we were kids. No, like no. TV or nothing. I mean, I think I might have saw it once on television, like 100% weird or maybe a Joe Bob Briggs thing or something like that. That was in the 90s where they would have like little edited, of course. Right, like edited television shows. Yeah, like on TNT or something like that. When they, would, when they would try to push stranger movies, they might even play a Santo movie if you were lucky or something like that. You know, where, they're, where there was actually people starting to get into... Uh, positions of power, not power power, but positions where they could pick maybe we don't play King Kong this week, maybe we play Mr. Sardonicus. That, the, the, to make those kinds of judgment calls, I think people were getting into those positions that grew up watching things like Mr. Sardonicus or Them or The Tingler. Uh, <laughs> yes, The Tingler was another great one. The Tingler is a The Tingler is a, a fantastic movie, and so is Mr. Sardonicus. And I like William Castle movies anyway, uh, but they're not all great. No, no, sure. no, no. But we're talking about that. a couple great ones there. I mean, I think. Um, <laughs> and I actually hate Rosemary's Baby, and I know that oh, he you is. know I'm almost ecstatic that you said that because yeah. anytime you know you ever see those posts where people will say. What's your least favorite horror movie or what's your favorite horror movie? I always get skewered if I answer because I always put Rosemary's Baby. I think mm. it is the most overrated film ever. Yeah. And, and I've yet to see a film that has gotten such high praise that I think is less deserving of it. And uh, maybe, maybe we ought to maybe we ought to do a show about that sometime films that don't deserve the praise they get. Oh, that would be great because I've been going <laughs> days on that one. But I think besides... Uh, and I'm not speaking about uh, current uh, politics. I think that Gone with the Wind actually is the most overrated film in history. And it has nothing to do with what the, what the political people are saying mm-hmm. about or not or whatever. You know, I, it, No, it's just a shitty movie. 
It's, it's yeah. almost like for me, like, leave it alone. It's a dumb movie. To get. It's, it's, it's a dumb, you know, pretentious. It is. Shit. Yes. It's, it's really yes. not even, you know, it's a, and so know, is it's a beautifully baby. made film. It, you know, it's a beautifully made film. You know, it's not like it's badly made, but it, it's, it's just, <laughs> it's not a good film. Right. And I, I get, I get a little upset too when people say that, are are you here? It said, I should say that, oh, William Castle. Uh, it was a genius move for him not to not to direct Rosemary's Baby. Bullshit. If he would have directed that, it would have been as cool as Mr. Sardonicus. Oh, yeah, because it wouldn't not. have been the same movie. It yeah, wouldn't have been that same movie at all. No. It's self-righteous, self-important, it's it's arrogant. It's it's not a it's not a it's trying to be something it's not. It's trying to be important. I'm sorry. It's a it's an apartment full of devil worshippers. That's, yeah, that's not it. important. I'm but sorry. Without, but without any payoff at the end. That, that's uh, oh, my main. It's yeah. like, it's like okay, we're posted. To, I can't buy it. I just can't buy it. That if it's, you've it's, ever read an encyclopedia, encyclopedia Brown story, there's no twist at the end of that fucking movie. It is no <laughs> payoff at all. It's stupid. It's awful. But reeling it back, I guess you know. I'm, I'll, yeah. I'll help us yeah, reel back the dolls. Right. Yeah, yeah. But so. Guy, we were talking Guy, Guy Rolf, exactly. Yeah, so yes, he Guy Rolf and Hillary Mason, who was in another overrated horror film, Don't Look Now. If you ask my opinion, I think is well, it's not really a horror film, but Don't Look Now is one of those movies that I'm just like, ah, all right. I kind of liked it better the first time when it was called Alice Sweet Alice, or even if it wasn't made before then or whatever. I, it, the, the little killer in, in Don't Look Now reminds me of Alice Sweet Alice, but I think Alice Sweet Alice is a better movie. Let's put it that way. I'm, I can't remember which one now. Now that I say that, I'm like, wait a minute. Don't Look Now is in 73, I think. And I think Alice Sweet Alice was 76, so I might be wrong about that. But regardless, that's the only cool thing about Don't Look Now is a weird little killer, maybe, running around with like the, the rain, rain outfit on or whatever. And, right, right. Or the red outfit, whatever it is, I can't remember, but... I just can't. St- I just. I can't stand it. But her character in that, as the blind soothsayer or whatever, ooh, yikes! That woman could make you could say, "Good evening, my friends," and you're like, "I'm gonna get eaten." She's gonna turn me into a fucking cookie and, and eat. Me. <laughs> she's no. like, she. She was born a witch. She was born with wrinkles, and they're still there. I mean, she is a frightening-looking woman, and she is absolutely outstanding in this film. And I think. In this film, she is a thing that is forgotten and underrated as Guy Rolfe's wife. Oh, well, they both play off each other perfectly. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. They're both so very regal, but so very creepy at the same time. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just the way she looks at people, like, more her than even Guy Rolfe. I mean, uh, you know, Guy has, you know, he's always very regal and very proper, but she's always just kind of looming by his side, just like... You know, just very creepy. Like, yeah, I kind of feel like they there was a subplot there. Like, I I, I want to feel this way is that the subplot that didn't get explored was that the reason why they had made all these dolls is because they didn't have children of their own. And I'm, I know that's just backstory that I kind of made up myself. No, but, but I think that I, I think that's kind of there, but it's not stated. I, I think that's sort of an understood. And I think that's kind of what's nice about this film too is that you can fill in those blanks for yourself like how did all those characters get there well we just had fun filling in those blanks for ourselves right did it matter it didn't really matter it didn't affect the film for you unless you want to sit there and take it to task for every little thing you don't understand which is unfair to any movie 
Really, I think it's about the only thing that that I can't get past that is a problem with me is is even a note I made was people just don't barge into people's homes like that. Rude ass motherfuckers. You yeah, know, like that's true. Yeah, you know, when the family first shows up, they knock on the door like twice. They don't get an answer. So what do they do? They break in through, you know, like a basement window. And right. then when uh, when Gabriel and Hillary find them, I mean, they find them as anybody would in their basement. They they find them with a shotgun, and they're just like, "What are you doing here?" You know, we prefer people to come by the front door if you're gonna, you know, have visitors. Right. And. But then, well, that's a, that's uh, kind of a movie trope, though, in order to get them oh, yeah. into the house in a way. And, but it's funny, though, because I don't disagree with you, because those things do bother me in movies. I, I got to tell you, one of the most, some of the most suspenseful moments I've had watching movies where I'm actually yelling at the screen, going, no, 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 no. Things like that. Things that make you actually yell at the screen and scream at and stuff like that. So here's mine. Why? And, and this is a trope, like, barging into a house whenever no one answers just to get you in there so the plot can move forward. Why on earth? Why? At nighttime, when a car pulls up to the house, do they leave the lights on and they leave the car door open? Because <laughs> they want to come a out to a dead car in the morning. Yeah, there's a character people. will pull up to a car, leave its lights on, bother to shut the car off, but leave the lights on and open the door and don't close it and runs up to the door and starts knocking and stuff. I'm yelling... Close the door! Close the door! Turn your lights off! You know, that's stuff that... I'm a little anal about stuff, so it bothers me. When people leave, leave refrigerator doors open, I oh. about shit kittens. But I see that in the movie, like, close the refrigerator! I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I basically feel like a boobie's parents. You know, like, I'm, 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 like their parents. I'm like, close the door! You know, it's like, you don't refrigerate the whole neighborhood! Oh yeah, that that gets to me all the time. It, it, things like that, or like when yeah. um, when uh, Ralph kind of barges in with Enid and Isabel, like they're they're barely past. You know, Gabriel and Hillary are barely past uh, getting the first band of intruders, you know, situated and getting them into dry clothes and you know getting ready to feed them a hot meal that they just happen to have like cooking at ten o'clock midnight or whatever time it was. <laughs> right, you know? right, right. But, you know, they and they, they just storm in and like the, the one girl, I don't even remember which one it was, just instantly goes to the, the bubbling pot of stew or whatever it is and just dips in. Just like, right. like, hello, how are you? Like, this is not a hotel. It's not a restaurant. This is somebody's home. Like, I'm just going to barge in and just like dip into your dinner. Right, like, right. Like, I don't understand that, that that's a movie trope, but it's just it makes me laugh every well, time. Well, let me, here's, think about it this way. Think about it this way, too. And, and this was something I was thinking about Um when I was watching this too, because actually me and me and my wife, Angie, we watched this last week. Uh, and I told her, I said, when she, when she's like, Oh, I, we were just looking for movies to watch. How about dolls? I haven't seen that in a while. And I, I love the movie. And she's like, yeah, I, I don't remember it very well. So let's watch that. So we started. And I said, yeah, it's, it's good for the mood we were in that night. I said, it was good. This is like a really dark fairy tale. And I go, and actually has homages to fairy tales. So to me, in the beginning is a little bit like, uh, you got Hansel and Gretel in there, but now we're talking about the three bears, Goldilocks. Yeah. So now we're talking. So there, if you really start start taking the movie and start like kind of like taking pieces of it that seem odd, what you're doing is you're actually taking pieces that are from existing fairy tales, and they're kind of stitched together here in this in this movie. And I think the breaking into the house is very much like Goldilocks, and and trying the porridge out. 
you know, well, and, and what it, now that I remember it, it was uh, it was Isabel that dipped into the food because she was the blonde of the group of the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, it's, so it's fun. I mean, if you, if you start like looking for things like that, you're like, huh, you know, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And through a lot of the film, I did see stuff, like that, especially I mean, I think isn't the little girl even reading Hansel and Gretel? Yes, I'm pretty sure she's, she's reading it. Yes, yeah, she's reading Hansel. I'm pretty sure it's Hansel and Gretel. Yeah, and they and they when they say something that's about witches, that's that's when there's that really it's funny and creepy. The Clark Rolf and Hillary Mason, oh, <laughs> they kind of <laughs> they kind of giggle at each other, like whoa, boy, you know. And to me, like, yeah. it, like I don't think like a movie like Reanimator is scary at all. They're, they're fun. No, it's it's, it's a, thrilling. Yes. You know, it's thrilling, it's a, but it's not. Not yeah, not great not. way of putting it. It's thrilling. It's fun. It's a roller coaster ride. It's great, but you give me a little quaint little movie like Dolls, and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> you're like oh, that was kind of creepy. That little laugh right there. I don't know if I like that a whole lot, you know. Yeah, and that that is, I always used to like to say that I like eerie movies more because I think eerie gets under your skin. Eerie sticks with you. Yes, it's, it's like humidity. It's not a dry heat. It just kind of, yeah, man, it just, it gets gooey and sticks to you. You're like, ugh, man. And it just, it grates on you. And eerie movies like this stick with me. They tell you a story, and it's the story that's eerie. And the other thing, too, is this is like, I'm not afraid of dolls or, or clowns. But there's, but I have seen dolls and clowns that will make me poop my panties. And yes. a movie like this is one of those movies where they made the dolls pretty scary because they didn't try to make them scary. They made them look just pretty much like normal dolls, except for when you know, they would get the kind of devilish eye look to them. And when the they teeth. Would, yeah, the teeth. teeth they would yeah. smile. But yeah. like, for the most part, it's just every and every room is filled with dolls. Right. Because we haven't even like really mentioned it, but Guy Roll's character, Gabriel, is a toy maker. Yes, and like correct. every single room of this like mansion that he's got is just filled with toys. He's an old school toy maker who kind of lamenting about, you know, the, the, the old days when people would, you know, want something besides a video game system. Right. You know, people don't and, want. And these you know, are old fashioned porcelain dolls, too. These are very handcrafted, old, really, truly old, crafty, old fashioned looking uh, porcelain looking dolls clearly not porcelain we use their faces moving stuff but but that's what they look like and those you think of a porcelain doll you think of children the children who had them have already died of old age and are probably ghosts right now that's what makes them scary it's not the object itself it's it's the it's what's attached to them it's the history that's attached to time you know that they have outlived their the the children they were created for, which is very eerie. Yes, it makes you con- it makes you confront your own age and your own time limit you have here on this planet. And I think that that's what sets you in a strange mood. And I think the only thing to me that's a little I don't want to say cheesy, but well, for a lack of a better term, I, the, the teeth and the dolls are a little much. I don't think they had to be such sharp, so sharp. Yeah, know? they didn't have um, to be so fang like. Right. Um, and here's what's interesting. Well, you go ahead. I guess you're kind of kind of going through the plot. I like to jump around a little bit. So I feel like. Oh, uh, I, I, yeah. I, I like to jump, jump around. I don't like to jump to the ending first thing off, but I like to jump around. 
Right. The point I was going to make was the sheer number of dolls that were in this place, you know, and all of them were very distinct and very different. You had toy soldiers, you had, you know, porcelain dolls, you had the Mr. Punch doll. I, I, I think with the budget, I think I read was around $2 million. I wonder how much of the budget was spent on all these damn dolls. Like, all yeah. these, I mean, cause they were all either very much antiques or made to look like they ran the real deal. Well, you right. Know? The doll makers, I think were supposedly a lot like the guy Rolf and Hillary Mason characters. I think, I don't know if they were based on them, but the people, the doll makers who made those dolls for that movie were a lot like them. Uh, those people I, that's, I, didn't, I did not know that yeah so that's and so a lot of those movies not the puppets but like the dolls and stuff and then they had they had what Stuart gordon wanted to, to make it almost all puppetry and stuff and i think they realized after a while that they needed a little bit more to show to show the dolls alive and so that, that's where this david allen stop motion came in later because they they, they could do this stuff and and you know, it's, it was kind of sad though too, and it's it's. Let's just say it, I'm. A, I'll stop there. It's just sad because if you see Charlie Band talk about it, it's almost like he regrets letting that movie sit for a year while they were finishing up all the stop motion stuff. Because I feel like he thinks he could have made a couple extra bucks on it. I'm like, you know what though? Like making it, making it, waiting that long and allowing those extra effects in that film. Um, are why people buy it today. Right. So maybe maybe it, it hurt the box office and didn't do anything because the movie sat too long or something, but it certainly gave it the legs that it has for, for it still to be making money today. I wouldn't be surprised if that Blu-ray outsold From Beyond. I don't know that at all. I would I would think it would, if maybe not outsell it, would at least reach equal sales. I mean, I, I can't see it, you know, selling, underselling it. Mm-hmm. Like I even made a note as compared to like Gordon's other other work, like with From Beyond and previous to that Reanimator, it's very PG thirteen. Yeah, it, it, it is. It, it is. Leans, yeah, it leans more towards PG thirteen than it does R. It does. I'm just technically though. I'm ninety nine percent sure I don't have it in front of me. I think it was R, but I'm just saying. And and I I do remember when it came out. It was you know eighty seven was boy they they were just they couldn't quit criticizing violence in movies and you watch this stuff now you're like oh my god come on really you know but they i remember this movie was criticized as most horror films for some of the violence in it you watch it now it's like what violence i mean there's hardly anything uh, it's there's, there it's there it's but 77 minutes long and there's nothing for the first 30 right you mean there's other than the little the uh, teddy the bear yeah. teddy scene briefly at the beginning which was just, you know, albeit imaginary, but, right. uh, you know, for on-screen violence and whatnot, which it's not that, that graphic. I mean, it's no. not to say that when the scenes, when the, the kill scenes come up, that it's not, you know, bloody and whatnot, but it's not terribly graphic. I don't understand. No, no. It's not like spray blood. No, no. It's, know, not... it's not like Evil Dead 2 or something like that. It's not... No. <laughs> yeah, no, you know what I'm saying though. It's not even though that's very cartoonish. It's not it's not it it isn't. I mean, and you know, it's almost like you can't you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So they make this more gentle movie. But look, it's a horror film. It's a horror movie. You know, it's like I know everybody wants to call it, but at the end of the day, even though it's a fantasy, even though it's this and that, it's still a horror film. 
it's just not a super rough horror film. Oh, right. You know? and, I mean, it is a horror film. I mean, what are they, the puppets you know, or the dolls supposed to use? Harsh language? <laughs> yeah, they're, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're, they're going to nudge them to death? I mean, right. Yeah. They're, they're going to trip gonna them? Give them? Yeah, give them dirty looks to make them feel bad. I mean, you're right. So, so I find it interesting that the movie was toned down. And on some levels, it was toned up. So I know that the, if you watch the movie closely, when they're like breaking the dolls apart, and you see like little corpsey uh, yeah, creatures underneath, the, like you, almost zombie-like kind of like yeah, like the shrunken people, creepy looking, yeah, yeah like voodoo type, almost yeah. When you see that, those are all added. Yeah, that, that was all, well. I knew that they added that, but I knew they had also had added a bunch of gore shots that they in the end ended up cutting out am i right that is true that is true yeah they actually pulled the entrails out of one of the girls and did a whole bunch of stuff is and go and to Stuart gordon's credit he said it just didn't feel right it just wasn't it, it it's it's his movie i know it's a lot of people's movie that was brian yunz's movie that was that was uh um charles band's movie but you know really whose name is attached to it it's the director the right. producers can run for cover, right? They can so say, "Oh, not, we we lost, we lost control to the director." Yeah. yeah, they can they can they can take all the goddamn money they want for the director's hard work. They can do everything they want, but when it's time to run for cover, they can just hide right behind that and say, "Well, the Stuart Gordon's dolls control." You know? yeah. <laughs> so, and but then but then you get a movie that people like, and then they're all saying. Well, I thought that we needed to make a movie like this. And then the other producer says, well, you know, when I came up with this idea, and they all came up with the idea, apparently, you know, independently of each other. So it's funny to see how, and you've been on movie sets, too. You know people do that. You're like, wait a minute, I thought of that. And they're like, well, if I say it, then I'm doing the same thing they're doing. You know, and so you're like, oh, okay. Well, Stuart Gordon, no matter what Charlie Band wanted, or anybody else, I mean... I think I think Brian Yunzna or Yuzna or Yunza, whatever his name is. I think yeah. he came up with the idea for the for when the dolls got broken that underneath were little creatures. That was great, though. That was a good idea. I like that. That was, that, cool. that was a good idea. Right. That was creepy as hell. Like, and they all looked a little different. Some of them looked skeletal. Yes. Some of them looked kind of kind of zombified, almost like almost like like ghoulies in a, in a way that yeah. were under, under that. It was. I like the fact that they were different. I think yes. some of the dolls were different uh, people. I think some of them were lives and dolls that they created. I don't think all the dolls were just criminals, like the the synopsis says. I don't think they were all just criminals or you know bad people that showed up. I think some of them were lives that they created, thus the kind of allusion to the fairies and everything like that. Right. Well, and again, that's that's what's cool about the movie too. You're free to put that in there and there's nothing that says you can't because it's open. It's open for interpretation. And I, and, and it's funny how little things like they were already there filming when they did those things. Like that wasn't planned at all. Everything else was pre-planned. And as they were watching the dailies and stuff, again, I think it was Brian Yunza. He said, I think he said he never understood if you had a killer doll movie, why you could break the doll apart and there was nothing in it. There's nothing like moving it. It was just a doll. So uh, are they ghosts? What are they? You know, like, so it's, it's, right. a, it's a valid right. point. It's a valid point. So, so the effects guys that were kind of bored because everything was pre-planned. They, they, did, they did a good job. They were ready to go when, when needed. And this gave them something to do. They quickly made these little guys and they put the dolls around them and they did this. And they said it was great for them being there doing that. 
and it worked so well. So everything that was thrown in seemed like it was someone else's idea. So Yunzna or Yunzna, I can never get the guy's name right, but he had the idea. <laughs> yeah, you know, so he always had the, he had the idea for the things inside the dolls. And then Band wanted it more rough. He wanted it bloodier. He wanted more of a what people expected Stuart Gordon to do. But what was nice about it is it seemed like it all got filtered through Stuart Gordon. Honey, I wish I knew what you were talking about. No, Ralph. Deep down inside, you know. Yeah, and so, he, you know, he was able to put out the film that he wanted. Yeah, and, and so he looked at... And, and it's to his credit, just because the little creatures underneath the dolls weren't his idea, he probably looked at it like we do. It was like, oh, that adds to this. I like that. Yes. You know, it's just like the stop motion stuff adds to it. And you're like, hey. And you're right. It's very good stop motion. And so you're like, wow, I like that. You know what it is. But, man, it's Yeah, good. you know it's, it's stop yeah. motion, but it's done very, very well. And it's not... You know, not to knock the film, but it's not like Jason and the Argonauts. You right. know, it, it's it, it's a it's a notch above or a notch or two above that. Mm -hmm. and, you know, mm -hmm. and for you, know, you got to think for a movie that had a two million dollar budget, you know, and uh, I, I I can't imagine like the work that they had to put in for all that stop motion animation with so many dolls. Right. Oh. Yeah, I wouldn't have, wanted, wouldn't have wanted the pressure of that job. It's like, hey, listen, we got this movie. Can you finish it in the next year? Like, <clears throat> okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I want the I don't think I want the stress or pressures of a of a stop motion animator. <laughs> like, not that they have to worry about too much these days. There's not many of them around. I don't think, at least not being made for not. I don't know. I many major motion pictures that are using stop motion. Unfortunately, today, um, I think that's sad because yeah. I think the effect was going to a place. That was better than CG, but much more time consuming, much more yeah, probably yeah. expensive, you know, and, and I mean, if you look at movies like, uh, I, look, I, the movie Willow, I hate, I hate that movie. I could kick that movie right in its baby seals. I can't stand it. <laughs> I can't. I would make, I would make candle wax out of it. I can't stand it. But the stop motion effects are almost unbelievable. Um, and I would say... Return of the Jedi, some of the, those effects too, that stop motion stuff in that movie, even going back to Empire, I mean, we were getting to a place in stop motion if you had the time to do it, where it was pretty compelling, pretty effective, um, and even more impressive because you know they were real world things. You know they are exactly. actually done by hand. You know, it, it felt more real, the texture of everything was real because it... it it was real objects. It wasn't CGI. There's something lost. My problem with CGI is this, is most of the time there's something lost in the texture. Everything mm -hmm. looks and feels like, like it's fake. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, you, know, you don't feel like you're watching anything real. You know, like when you, you see like er, the earliest uh, Jurassic Park film where they really were utilizing s s some more stop motion than they were, you know, CGI at the time. I, I mean, my God, uh, the, the difference is night and day between that and the latest Jurassic Park film. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that's, what was, that's what's funny, too, because we actually this week I was just editing before you called to do this interview with me. I was just editing our podcast and we actually were talking about this exact same thing. And I actually said that I thought that I have a real hard time with this statement for a lot of reasons. But one, I said, I think the perfect special effects film 
It's not my favorite film, nor my least favorite anything, but I think the perfect special effects film with the marriage of everything was Jurassic Park, the first one. And I think because they, the animatronics in that were never duplicated before or after, and there's never been anything better. I mean, that, it's just unbelievable to me, like, like those dinosaurs and stuff in that movie. And they were going to use all that stop motion for everything. And that was, they had gotten to a point where I'm so sad, though, that they didn't use it because that's when Spielberg, they were ready to go. And then he saw that computer animation. That they, they, they said, hey, before you do this, check this out. See what we can do now. And it just changed everything. And what, but what I liked about it was that they used both. And they used the CG when needed to supplement the artistry that Stan Winston had done. Yeah, and, yeah. I like the word supplement. That's a good way. I always say, like, enhance is another way. Like, absolutely. To pro- properly use CG. Do that one little second of film that, that you wish you could have done 10 years before CG. Don't do the whole fucking movie in it. You know, and that, and, and I think that I'm, there's a few things. One, with the CG to me, it looks, the movement is too fluid, whereas the stop motion was too jerky. And it has the same problem as stop motion did too, is that they never get the fucking lighting right. They just never get the lighting right. It looks looks like it's superimposed, always. Like, CGI always seems like it's overlit. Yeah. You see high CGI. And with stop motion, everything always seemed very um, flickery. Mm-hmm. Everything's kind of like they never quite seemed to match, but right. there's right. not a happy medium between the two, right? Right. Well, and I think that if they would have used CG in this movie, they would have the whole movie would have been in dolls. The whole movie would have been like that. And that would have ruined it too. Because part of the creepiness of the dolls is the puppetry. And I think the stop motion stuff can be a little hokey because they're all kind of waving at each other and moving around, but it's done so well that you're kind of, you're kind of like, wow. The cool CG stuff is when they're jumping off the shelves and stuff. Right. But that's I mean, pretty neat, you know? I mean, in the first 30 minutes, uh, 30, 40 minutes almost of the movie, you know, there's really no kill scenes. You don't really see much of the dolls. They're just, always, I mean, when you see them, they're always there, but you don't see them moving around. That right. They're always it's a close-up of a face and they turn their head just ever so slightly or mm-hmm. they, they blink their eyes or they're chattering behind the closed door. You know, as soon as you close the door, they're chattering behind there. So it's always alluding to what the, the special effects bonanza that we get with the second half. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of ins- the eeriness of that film too, is what is also missing. I think a lot too, is that what they're, it's not, they're not showing you anything, but some of the spooky stuff is happening just off screen or just behind your back. And, and yeah. And you kind of that makes you kind of go through this with the characters when your point of view is very similar to that. And these are like old Val Luton techniques and stuff that I've always loved. And I just think that Stuart Gordon in this movie harnessed a lot of old-fashioned horror techniques from like the 40s and old-fashioned fairy tale tropes and techniques and things that are obviously old-fashioned. And I think he just put them together, and I think his name alone made it a horror film. And it just is what it is. And I think that, you know, it is a little divisive, the movie is with fans. And I still submit, I still think it is absolutely his 
best movie. I think that as far as being an entertaining film that everyone can like, I if somebody can tell me one differently, then that's fine. But I can't think I, of one. I, I actually, I'll probably surprise you with this. Um, it's not Reanimator, and it's not this movie, but my favorite Stuart Gordon movie, and it'll probably throw you off, but it's Fortress. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Christopher Lambert but, in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I am a sucker for post-apocalyptic, you know, dystopian society, you know, sci-fi flicks. And it, it just, to me, has the greatest, like, late 80s, early 90s, like, action movie, sci-fi yeah. horror cast. It, it kind of reminds yeah. me of No Escape with Ray Liotta in it, Lance Hendrickson. I used yes. to love that movie. And boy, talk about movies that's been neglected on home video and stuff. Gee whiz. Let's... Yeah, you know, that, I, I sell DVDs on eBay. Movies. That one went almost the second I put it up, and it's a shitty four by three letterbox DVD. It's not even, not even a sixteen by nine TV, you know, format. I mean, and it went, <laughs> it was gone. Yeah, and I don't I understand like yeah. why that you know that hasn't gotten a you know, like a proper Blu-ray release or something. But I don't that, know. I don't. Well, that's know. Fortress either. I mean, because Fortress was a fairly well-known movie. You know, I think it's Stuart Gordon though. His horror as we both know horror fans are loyal. They'll follow you. And we all gave Fortress a chance because we knew what it was. But I think that a lot of the horror fans, as you just said, and can caution me, won't jump to Fortress when they're thinking of Stuart Gordon movies at all. Because I didn't even think about Fortress. Like when we were talking about, you know, Stuart yeah, Gordon films. It's, um, just I another, it's another movie. Yeah. Um, so it's another movie that's just kind of swept under the rug and forgotten about. And yeah, I don't know. It's a why. great film. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know. know why. There was even a, there's a sequel to it too, right? There was Fortress too, right? Yeah, there was a there was a really bad sequel. Did he it, do it the sequel from... or did somebody else do it? No, I don't remember who did the sequel, but it was Did Yunza uh, or whatever his name is directed himself? I bet he did. No, I don't, I don't believe know. so. We're I asking that questions up we don't know. Talking, we all have but, phones uh, so we can find this out. <laughs> Yeah. Call in. We're not live, but you can call in. <laughs> we won't answer, but hey. while we're talking. But uh, but yeah. uh, yeah, I can't, I, I can't remember. But you know, it, I remember seeing that movie at the drive-in. I remember seeing Fortress at the drive-in. Really, you saw it at the see now that that to me is impressive because these. I mean, I've lived uh, when I was a uh, let's see from. When I was born, basically, like, I mean, let's say two years old. But from what I can remember, I was born until I was probably in, like, fifth or sixth grade. Remember, I'm 47 now. I was born in 73. So from, let's say, 75 until, like, 85, I lived in central Illinois. And I mean central Illinois. There was no – Chicago was two hours north, and St. Louis was two hours west. So you approximately about about where I live now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Decatur, Illinois. So it was Decatur okay. and Mattoon, Illinois. Yeah, so that's where I lived. I went to grade school in Decatur, and I went to, like, kindergarten and stuff in Mattoon, Illinois. So you know, and we're talking the 70s now and, like, the early 80s. So whatever's there now wasn't there then, and especially entertainment-wise. And when you also consider this was days of pre-cable television where you had the big outdoor antenna, which I am proud to say I still have a big outdoor antenna that I use, and I do not have cable or satellite in front of that, too. But <laughs> I, there wasn't a whole lot. Like, we, I could get a Fangoria magazine, so I could read about all these movies. 
Not that my parents would let me see them, but there was no way for me to, to see these movies. Now, when I moved to St. Louis, I'm not in St. Louis. I'm across the river. So I'm in, I'm in a smaller community over in Illinois. And we just didn't have access to see a lot of these movies in theaters. I saw Ed Wood, the movie Ed Wood, in a theater. I had to go into Missouri. I'm on the Illinois side of, of the St. Louis area. I had to go into Missouri to this little bitty theater in a mall. Uh, <laughs> and the theater might have held 100 people. And there was maybe 15 people in it. And that movie won Academy Awards. And that was the only place in the area that played that movie. I mean, the area, the region, like out of, whatever, 100 theaters that were around at that time, it was the only one. And that was what? That played which movie? Fortress? Ed Wood. Oh, Ed, Ed I Wood. Saw, I saw Ed Got Wood, yeah. And, and so when I'm making a point that that movie won Academy Awards. So for me to see a movie like Dolls or Fortress in a theater at the time, uh, not that I knew of. Like, I didn't know it was playing anywhere. Um, there was only like two theaters that were uh, in the Hammond Highland area where I grew, I grew up in Indiana. Uh-huh. And there was a couple of theaters out there. We was always used to call them the nickel and dime theaters because they would get second run movies. Well, I remember right, like, okay. stuff like Penitentiary and Vigilante there when I was younger. But there was a drive-in called the Y&W that has since been closed since mm, mid-90s. So it's been closed a good 25 years or better. But I, that's where a lot of my movie uh, memories were made at that drive-in was just getting to you know, see triple features all the time. Thankfully, I had a mother that would take me to the, <laughs> to the drive-in to see these like bad you know fucking horror sci-fi psychotronic triple features because that's great i simply would i would ask them so i would ask her to and she would oblige me and and made me the individual that i am today well she might like them too i mean maybe not told you that because she's a parent so she can't say that stuff but i mean maybe she liked them too enjoy my mom likes horror movies she doesn't talk about it but she likes them was big into it uh, she got me my first stephen king book and promptly had to uh, go to school where i was going to have it uh, right because it got confiscated by my teacher right well you were lucky you you were very we had i mean and you were also lucky because you clearly there was theaters there that still had independent distribution and that's what that's what we lost lots we lost. that's what the difference between the early 80s and 80s into the 90s is that that all the theaters got bought up by the chains and stuff so there wasn't as much diversity and what was being distributed to theaters. And, and we, have a, we have a drive-in here. I mean, the drive-in here is about, as the crow flies from me, about maybe two or three miles uh, from me. And it's, it's been open since the 50s. It's an old drive-in and it still runs. Two screens, it still runs the way it always ran. And they pretty much play first run features. They, it's, they went all digital and all other kind of good stuff. But they still do have special events where they'll do like all night horror thons and stuff like that. So that's kind of cool. That's kind of neat. But I never lived by a theater that played independent stuff like that when either they were released or when I was allowed to go see them because I never lived close enough to walk anywhere. I always lived in the country. So I never lived like close enough to walk to a theater where I could sneak in and go see a movie that was playing. So uh, it had to be basically PG. That was it. That was the law. Now, PG movies in the early 80s were like rated X movies today. So it wasn't that bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah they, were, they were, they were uh, a little more lax on things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were. But like a movie like Dolls, I would have loved to have seen that in a theater. 
I don't know if it ever, I, if it did play around here, it played somewhere in St. Louis that I wasn't aware of when I was that age. I was only 13 when it came out. Yeah, I don't so. remember seeing it in theaters. I, I think that was a VHS, you know, video store rental back in the day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, I knew about it coming out. I read about Fangoria. That, that was my horror education was Fangoria magazine. Yeah, me too. Actually, that's where I learned about dolls because it was on the cover of either Fangoria or Gorezone magazine back in the yep. day. I don't remember which one. I want to say it was Fango, but it was the picture of uh, oh, what's her name? The the one of the two girls holding her eyes next to her head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That um, that was. I think I actually found out about dolls from watching Siskel and Ebert. Believe it or not, I didn't. I wasn't reading Fangoria. I read, believe it or not, I read Fangoria when I was probably too little to read it. My parents were odd. They like they let me do some things that I still shake my head about, and then other things they wouldn't let me do that I shake my head about. But I'm sure my kids downstairs are doing the same thing about me right now too. But right. <laughs> my Fangoria years were when I was say seven years old to maybe twelve. So born in '73. So you're talking about. To about 85 that I was buying Fangoria's. And part of that was is that, again, no internet, no cell phones. You're, you bought a magazine if it was at the newsstand. So yep. I lost contact to the newsstand that I bought Fangoria's at because we had moved. And I didn't, they didn't sell Fangoria's anywhere I want. I wasn't allowed to get a subscription to it. I could buy it, but I couldn't get a subscription. I don't know. It was probably, probably so it looked good my parents you know everybody's worried about you know everybody's worried worried about perception or whatever but um so right, i actually you don't want that being de- delivered to our house right that, that's pretty much it yeah yeah it's like you can go buy porn if you want but for, for god's sake don't have it delivered to the house in a brown paper bag you know so <laughs> but they i remember the Cisco and Ebert review where they gave it a bad one if i remember correctly and they were saying that i know that they were talking about the gore in it and the violence and the, the motherfuckers wouldn't get off that. They were probably the biggest pains in the ass. And I, I'm a, okay. I actually respect the hell out of, of uh, Roger Ebert, to be honest with you. I have books he's written and stuff. I don't agree with a lot of his takes on movies, but I'm fascinated by why he thinks the way he does. But his hard-on he had for horror movies back then, really just, it, it, it's, it's disappointing. Yeah, it didn't it didn't make sense to me that, that he was so venomously against uh, horror movies. Well, they both were. Yeah, you know, uh, we talked about this quite a bit when uh, we did a show here recently about the movie Maniac. We talked about Siskel and Ebert. Oh and their God, take on. yeah, yeah. And God, they did everything they could to make sure that movie got all but banned. You know, right. and and it, and it worked. You know, but and these are the <laughs> same guys that that were lobbying for Dark City to be nominated for Best Picture, which I completely backed. You know, so it's it's very strange to me, like, to, to... But you know what? That's that's the beauty of movies and cinema and the escapism of it is that we can disagree about these things and hopefully not take it too personal. You know, and hopefully I, just be curious as to why these things yeah, are. Because it's just fascinating. Hope that it open, you hope that it opens up a discussion where, you know, at least they, they if, if you're like, okay, you don't like this movie, well... Enlighten me. Tell me why. What is right. it about that about it that turns you off of it so much? Right. You know, like I, you know, I have a couple of favorite movies that I completely judge people by, like if they've seen it or not. You know, mm-hmm. and um, I don't judge them by whether or not they like the film because. It, it, you well, know, test me. Just, Give me a test on. 
I'm open. I'm open here because because I'm 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 laying myself bare for for your podcast, and I can't edit me out. So you all right? You test me. Uh, all right, Lamberto Bava's Demons One and Two. Oh, I like those movies a lot. Okay, we can still be friends. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But most of the time, it's just like whether or not, like, if people tell me they're a horror fan, and I mention something to that effect, you know, uh-huh. and they're like, "Oh, I've never seen it. I don't watch zombie films, uh-huh. or I don't watch gory films," and it's just like, eh, "Why?" Right. 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 Well, you know, yeah, you know, and I think the thing is too is that the, the, probably the next question you should ask is why. If they don't, if they can, if they can intelligently tell you why they don't like it, at least you know they saw it. And at least, you know, they thought they were going to like it. Because there's a lot of movies I thought I would like, I, I didn't like. And I don't know why I don't like them, but I just, I just, I don't like, I, I flat out don't like Freddy Krueger. I, I love Freddy. Yeah, uh, see, to me, I... I, I don't I, love everything Freddy, but I, I love the character, yeah. I, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, when I saw it, when it came out, I saw it on VHS, right? right when it, a friend of mine actually in grade school, I did, that was one movie that, I don't know how that one got by me. Uh, I think I was in fifth grade when I saw that. And, and somebody, a kid in class, told me about it. I didn't believe him because I didn't know about it. And I remember, though, that this was, this was right at the time where I lost contact with Fangoria. So I, I probably just missed it. I didn't know it came out, and it wasn't running in my theater, so I didn't know about it. And I got it and watched it, and I thought it was pretty creepy. You know, I was like, yeah, man, this, this is a pretty good movie. And then I, I saw the second one, and I hated it. And then I saw the next one, and I hated it more. And I saw the next one, and I hated it more. And I started hating Freddy more. And I started, I, I, every time you say the word Freddy, it, it makes my blood boil. It's just like, I can't <laughs> stand it. And I think part of it is, they, I feel like Freddy was, a, was an attempt to cash in on Arnold Schwarzenegger one-liners in horror. And I don't like my villains uh, with all the, I don't like my horror I'm glad, let's put it this way. I'm glad Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees never said a fucking word. <laughs> they, they led with their actions. That's, that's true. That's a good thing because if they could talk, if, or if Leatherface could talk, it would just. No, it would be bad. Yeah. It'd be bad. Yeah. It'd be bad. It's sort of like, I don't know if you're like pro wrestler or not, but man, Goldberg was cool until he talked. <laughs> you know, it's like one of those things like, nah, we don't, we don't, yeah, let's just not, let's not talk. Because the worst Friday the 13th movies are Jason movies, at least. He ain't talking. You know, here's another thing, too, and I know we way got off dolls here, but interestingly enough... Well, we'll get back on track eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, interesting enough, though, it, it made me think about this, too, that Stuart Gordon wanted to do a sequel to Dolls, and he wanted it to be the... Uh, I think he wanted the two toy makers to have themselves sent to Stephen Lee. Uh, Stephen Lee did indeed meet the little girl's mom and married her, like, just like the end... Of dolls is alluding to, yeah. So little happy ending there, but then they get something in the mail, and it's Guy Rolf, and it's Hillary Mason in the form of dolls. Yeah, like they had died and transformed themselves into the dolls. But I remember reading reading a bit about that when I was studying up on this, and I'm like, that would have been such a great sequel. It would have sadly enough never happened. I don't think we saw a lot of sequels to a lot of great Empire. pictures because no, you know but part of me is glad part of me thinks that we make too many sequels and part of me thinks that it's very cool to have a it's not it's not look in horror it doesn't happen very often it's very cool to have a standalone story 
Yeah, they never had the opportunity to ruin what they had already done so well at the first time. Right. It's stuck in time. It has been remade. I, even the fact that even said those words frightens me. Because now it's in the, in the ether of the internet that the word remade and dolls, because I don't like remakes to begin with. I just don't like them. Period. Yeah, I, I, no I, I like very few. I, I'm, I have an aversion to even watching most remakes, but I found the, the majority of what I do watch, I just don't end up enjoying. Yeah. The major problem I have with a lot of these, quote, remakes is a title. Because they're not remaking anything. They're making a sequel, and they want people to believe it's a remake so people actually are interested to go see it. Sometimes, also, movies don't hold up real well. And oh, one of my favorite movies of all time is Hell Knight. And I wouldn't mind seeing somebody take a crack at that, although I think it's perfect. I don't think it needs to be messed with. But, I mean, nobody saw it. I mean, nobody knows what Hell Knight is, you know? And it's, it's frustrating to me. And to me, a remake of that, and I, I know I'm being hypocritical here, and hey, it's 2020, I'm allowed to do that. You know, but, but, <laughs> but I think that it would shed light on the original film. I think it would, it would sh- tell people there was an original film. Um, I'm not saying I would like it a whole lot, but, but then again, you're talking also about you know, movies that weren't so good. I think Hell Knight was very good. Um, what's a movie that was somebody could, hey, I got it. How about somebody remake Rosemary's Baby? <laughs> <laughs> They did that. <laughs> Fucking did that too, god damn it. Uh, you know, god. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I think that I'm glad Dolls hasn't been remade. I'm glad it doesn't have a sequel. I'm glad it is what it is. I'm glad it's it's only an hour and 15 minutes long. Um, it, it's such a, uh, it's very brisk. And it's not a, a fast-moving film. It just has a very short and precise story to it. Right. I mean, it's, you've got the first, you know, third to half of it is just the setup of getting to the house, getting settled in for the night, and you know nefarious things are going to happen because, you know, if you know by the tagline or by the cover alone, you know that you're in for a killer doll film. Right. And, and our really conversation about it has been th- twice as long as the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's already been twice as long as the movie. <laughs> but that's, we a, had, that's, that's a, t- yeah, a testament to we it. Did, we know? did a uh, Jeffrey Combs double feature that I recorded about a week and a half, two weeks ago. And we talked for five hours and like 19 minutes about From Beyond and Dr. Mordred. Oh, now, wow. Wow. Like, and I checked in like on the time we talked one minute shy, literally one minute shy of being double the running time of both movies. Yeah. Well, we that's broke people... it up in two different calls and I'm just like, oh man, like, what was I thinking doing a double feature? Nobody's going to listen to a five hour show. <laughs> Like, there's no way you can get me to talk about Dr. Mordred for more than two seconds because I don't even remember that movie. I'm not, I know I saw it when it came out. <laughs> I know it reminded me of like a, like a Dr. Strange with Jeffrey Combs playing Dr. Strange. And that was about all I remember about it. But from beyond or, you know, whatever, yeah, I could talk about that for quite a while too. But the fact that you guys could talk about those two movies that long shows your love and fascination for them and how it actually shaped who you are in your lives. You right. know, and Dolls... You know, I think even Angio, when I was talking to her, you know, about the movie and stuff, was a little surprised how much I liked this movie because we don't watch it a whole lot. I said, you have to understand, before I met you, I saw this movie, I don't know how many times. I know it too well. I don't want to overwatch it. I want to give it a lot of space between when I watch it because I love it so much. I want it to be kind of fresh every time I see it, and I want to forget things and see it again. I want to taste a little bit of something new 
every time or something I forgot. Well, that was the case with uh, picking Dr. Mordred. I had my guest, Corey Dawson. He he picked both movies. He wanted to mm-hmm. do double feature and he's a big Jeffrey Combs fan. And when he picked Dr. Mordred, I was like freaking delighted, man, because mm-hmm. I hadn't seen that movie in many, many years. And it was so great to, to revisit. It was just like it was like seeing it all new again for the first time. When you ain't seen a movie in almost 15, 20 years, you're, you're you know, if you're like me with the amount of brain fog that I have. You know, <laughs> I am. <laughs> it's a, yeah. Well, that was like with dolls, you know, when you when I uh, had came to you about come back on the show and you mentioned dolls. And I'm like, that's fucking perfect, because I couldn't tell you the last time I seen it. Maybe right. been five or six years. And right. I own it. I own it, but I just hadn't watched it in five or six years. I think the first, not the first, but the last time I watched it was when before Patty and I moved out here to Illinois, and um, I was showing her a bunch of full moon flicks, and I showed her that for the first time, and that was the last time I watched it. Yeah, uh, and you know, I it's fun. This is one of the fun things too. You're finding out, even with Dr. Morton about doing podcasts, too, is that you kind of have an opportunity to talk about and remind people movies that they might have forgotten about. And I know that you at least a little bit follow our show where you can see what movie we're reviewing that week. And you can tell (laughs) this is all stuff you've heard of, but might not have heard of for 10 years. And that's not all of it, but some of the I like to do that. I like to talk about a movie that maybe the audience hasn't seen. As opposed to something they have seen, which is what most, and that's what we're doing right now. And look, I love dolls. I have no problem with this, but I'm just saying in contrast, I think that when you're talking about Dr. Mordred, you're talking about a movie probably most of your listening audience hasn't seen. You know, and a good example is um, uh, months ago, I don't know, a couple, couple months ago, me and Ben reviewed Heartbeeps. And I don't know if you remember the movie Heartbeeps with Andy Kaufman in it. Never okay, seen it. It's an Andy Kaufman movie where he's a robot and Bernadette Peters is a robot and they live in the future where robots are servants and stuff like that. And these two robots, they want to run away together. And then they have other robots who are their buddies that kind of want to run away with them. And so it's sort of like a, a weird, I don't want to call it short circuit story, but it's kind of like that. Now this movie was made or released in 81. Uh, Stan Winston was nominated if did not win an Oscar uh, for the for the robot effects and like the deputy in Jaws Jeffrey Kramer even has a cameo as a as a servant robot uh, Christopher Guest is in it oh um, okay yeah I mean uh, uh, Randy Quaid is in it oh um, crazy. yeah uh, uh, the there's like this little robot it's like a cute little robot you're supposed to like a lot, you know, and stuff. It's voiced by Jerry Garcia. <laughs> you know? so, so I know nobody's seen this movie. All right. Uh, as a matter of fact, Andy Kaufman went on David Letterman back in 81. And he said that he was offering everyone a refund because the movie was so bad. He offered everyone a refund who saw it. And Dave Letterman looked at him and said, ah, hope you brought change for a 20. <laughs> So, oh, this he, yeah, yeah. So, but I loved it when I was a kid. I thought it was a neat little movie. It was a fun little, harmless little movie. I so we post. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to yeah, seek that it's out. Not heart beats. It's heart beep, like B E E P S beeps. Gotcha. Like beep beep beep. Like heart beeps. Yep. 
It's out on Blu right now. I think Kino put it out. I think so. But you can even find it like, streaming somewhere or something, you know. Just a quiet little movie that everybody wanted to forget they made. <laughs> Basically. I think yeah. I think John Nobody Williams might admit. have done the music for it or whatever too. I mean it's it's got a lot of big people involved in it and stuff and it was kind of it's kind of like an ishtar nobody wants to lay claim to it right well uh stacy dugan john dugan's wife she posts i i I posted just a link to our show like we all do every week let people know that if if they want to listen go ahead and what and she gave me one of the greatest compliments i get doing the show every now and then she goes i totally forgot about that movie like i totally forgot that movie existed you just reminded me that to me is the greatest compliment I take away um, from all this. I think Dolls is a movie a lot like that. that yeah, people that's, what I, like, that's what I, I hope to do with a lot of these shows. Not with, with each and every one, but with some right. of the ones that we you know, pick certain titles. I'm, I'm just hoping that at least one person remembers to revisit and revisit it and, you know, and rekindle their love for it or hopefully getting to a fan who maybe have never heard of it, but have heard of it and never seen it and hopefully inspire them to like, see something new, something that's old, but something new to them. Right. Well, we've, I mean, with the internet, we've democratized information. That's for sure. So the thing is, it's up, it's up to people like all of us and me and you to communicate and to remind each other of these movies and to, and to keep that information alive for people. And it's not that you're smarter than me or I'm smarter than you or I'm, I'm so cool because I know what Heartbeeps is. Or it, it, it's more like, dude, you got to see Heartbeeps. You might not like it, but it's wild, man. You'll never believe you didn't see it. I mean, so it wasn't like it was completely forgotten. Uh, it's nobody paid attention to it, you know. It just kind of came. It's one of those ones that just came and went. It did. It has, yeah, a lot, a lot of money was lost. <laughs> I think nobody really won. I was, really wanted to actually, I was surprised to read that uh, Dolls uh, on its budget actually saw it almost a double of return for, you know, for a $2 million movie. I think they said it made three and a half. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, you no, know, it's, and then yeah, think surprising. that's just as theatrical run. How much is it made on home video and VHS, Laserdisc, Blu-ray, DVD, and all, all that, you know, right. in subsequent years. Right. That's what well, people always say. Like, oh, it was a box office bomb. It only made X amount of dollars. Well, what did it make on home video and licenses rights? And like, it's not always right. just about American box office. No, I mean, Wizard of Oz was a box office bomb too. I think the movie's proven it wrong. I think history is oh, proven yeah. that wrong. That that is not a bomb. That is a great film, you know. So, but yeah, and then yeah, I agree too. And I I I think it's very like like every. I had a, um, there was another podcast who got a hold of me that wanted to play some of the Brain Invasion music. And I'm like, yeah, play it. I go, but make sure you give me a link so I can tell people to listen. And I think the person was surprised because they knew that I did a podcast. I'm like, what the hell does that matter? I'm not competing with anyone for my dinner. You know, this right. is all just about the free flow of information, free flow of ideas and thoughts coming through. I don't want to be told, you know, like what movies. And I love reminding people about these little movies that no one's going to pay me a dollar to talk about. You know, you, you watch these movies, you want to be able to talk about them with some authority. So you study them a little bit. And this, you find out things about movies you love you never knew. And then you pass that information on. And I never try to be like the person who always knows this. 
You know, like I, I just always try to pass on what I've learned, like about these movies or stuff like that. And I mean, we've been we've been paying attention to these and studying them for a long time, so they're already knowledgeable to begin with. But I'm still surprised about things I find out. About yeah, like when that, I start going uh, down the rabbit hole, as I say, you know, that's what Patty calls it. You know, when mm-hmm. I go down the rabbit hole of looking for information, you know, about half of what I, you know, look up in the information I find is like, okay, yeah, I already knew that, and the other half, I sure as shit didn't know. I, you know, and I'm. You know, I didn't know going into this that Stuart Gordon had ever planned a sequel, you mm-hmm. know, until I started reading up on a Wikipedia and an IMDb and a couple of online articles. I'm like, oh, and it, you know, confirmed that. I was like, didn't know that, but apparently it's been common knowledge for decades, but I didn't know. Well, I, I didn't know. I, I did not know until I heard him say this, and how would I know? And that's the whole thing, too. It doesn't make you smarter, pal. You know, it's like, you don't know until you know. <laughs> you know, it's like people are like, well, you didn't know that? It makes you stupid. It's like, no, I didn't come across an information yet. That's what it means. Yeah, it's it means all it I means, really. You know? yeah. to that kind of information yet. Yeah. I had no idea that Stuart Gordon, first of all, Stuart Gordon didn't write this. This is a coincidence, by the way, what I'm already saying, which I find fascinating. This is a coincidence. But Stuart Gordon uh, was in a museum when he, I think he was in college. Uh, I think it was in Ohio, actually. I think he went... No, I think he went to University of Wisconsin, maybe? And there was, a, like, a historical society museum. And there just happened to be a whole display on, on a whole floor of these old porcelain dolls. From, like, antiques huh. and stuff. And he got so into looking at them. This is... I'm not shitting you. He got so into looking at them, he actually got locked in the museum overnight. Stuck. No kidding. Really? No, stuck with all these fucking porcelain dolls. And he said, I'm not kidding. I get, I admit I started freaking out. He's like, because it started looking like the doll's eyes were following me and their heads were moving a little bit. He started playing <laughs> his mind play tricks on himself. Like, like, of course it would if you're in that situation, you know? And uh, yeah. I didn't know that. I was, I was like, really? I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, surprised cool. that he would even want to uh that he would even want to uh make a movie like this after a situation like that well he didn't say he slept on the set <laughs> it's uh, you know but yeah so there's just like that those little bits of information i think it's i think that that um i think we're doing a good a good thing uh for for movie lovers no one else cares uh but for genre movie lovers too uh just keeping this information floating throughout there. And hey, sometimes you end up being wrong. I'm wrong, at least. I end up being wrong. I make a mistake in my show, and I find I know it. So it's funny because I like said to come back the next week and go, yeah, I totally fucked up. I said something that was completely false. <laughs> yeah, I've already caught myself uh, with that with one show already. <laughs> yeah, I've done it many, many, many times, you know. And I just convinced myself I know some of this stuff, and I don't. I don't. There's... So much information, so much data about all these movies. It's so hard, you know, to know everything. But I think it's great for us to at least keep these the memories of these movies alive and keep debating the ship because that's how you get to the the real facts of what happened. You know, like you learn you're wrong, you find out something. But I just think that movies like Dolls, who don't have a bunch of sequels to lean on, and a huge block blockbuster box office return they need these programs these shows well they do for instance you know i mean we're on a show about charlie band and full moon 
and this is you know uh, this is a killer doll movie that gets hardly any you know hardly any love, but mm-hmm. everybody and their brother and sister knows about Puppet Master, right? You know, it's just like we're going to eventually you know cover the Puppet Master films here, being a full moon show. But sure. I'm like I, I'm 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 happy to be covering something like dolls first, you mm-hmm. know. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. you know, we'll get to the uh, Puppet Master and the other 13 or 14 sequels that, that they have. But, you know, right now, we'll give them this movie because there's only one of them a little bit of love. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that um, I do like Puppet Master. It's not a bad movie. I, I like it, you know. Um, but no, it's, to me, it's like nothing them. compared to... Dolls, to me, is like... I put this movie in the same category that I put, like, American World for London in. And I'm not kidding. I mean, I put it up there with, like, I'd say Halloween is my favorite movie. It's going to be on the same list. It might be pretty far down the list. Like, it might be, like, 20 or something. But it's, it's on that list of movies that I think are almost perfect um, and give me a good feeling when I'm watching them. They make me feel, they make me miss being, they make me miss the first time I saw it. Yes. Because I think to myself, you know, now being I'm 44, I'm, you know, bicentennial baby. You know, when I first saw this movie, I was, you know, it was probably VHS days. I remember renting it. It was so it was probably about, you know, 88, you know, maybe mid mid to late 88. So I would have been like 12 years old, 11, 12 years old. I was virtually like the same age as the main character in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know. You know, being the same age as little Judy, you know, and, and while watching it as a kid, it was terrifying. But right. now, like, kind of looking at it as an adult, you know, I mean, it's it's still chilling and still creepy. But, it you know, it, it feels so much different to revisit this, you know, 30 years later. Right. And, and it, it takes you back to a simpler time. And what's funny is that kids today, this will be their simpler time, which I know blows your mind. And it blows my right. mind. Somebody will revisit Saw Part 7 with the same amount of, you know, camaraderie that we have. And, you know, 20 years from now, somebody will be discussing, you know, Saw Part 7. or something like that. They'll be, or or, one of these Annabelle movies or something. Like, all these movies I could do without. Like, they don't, I don't. Right. And they'll be like, oh, wasn't that quite quaint in the back in the the, the aughts? You know, now that we're in, in like, 2043, you know. And by right. then, you know, nobody's going to know what the hell Hammer Horror films were or, or, or right. Universal Horror films. Well, uh, I think we talked in the last podcast, too, that that's, that's, why I'm, that's why I've amassed such a collection of Blu-rays and stuff, is to pass them down. It's not just for yeah. me. I want to pass my collection along. And, and actually, it, it is going, we haven't done this yet. It's going to be written into my will. That my collection does not get separated. It does not get. It does not get. It stays as, as a collection. Collection, yeah, yeah. It's it not like one piece. You're gonna get like the first half, and somebody else is gonna take the rest of them. No, right. they gotta stay together. There, there will be a clause that someone can take a disc or take a copy of the data from a disc to do some sort of restoration with. But it has to be. It has to either stay together. The person has to either do it on site. Or it has to be guaranteed to come back with a heavy, heavy price. Uh, because I spent a lot of time building it. And I built it because I'm upset that me and you can't watch London After Midnight. Yeah. Because it's been, it's been basically lost, most of it. 
and hopefully they'll find it someday. Now, did you see it, it was is popped back up in the news again that there's somebody who's claiming they have a print? And I, I know that happens about that. every every two or three years. It seems like two to three, four years. It comes to be that somebody has a print and then it never comes of it. But so I'm not putting much faith in that we'll get the seal well, on it. Let's say this: it's like Bigfoot for me. I'd love to think it's really there, but I'm on to wait and see. But yeah, and this was this is definitely a movie we need to be we need to be passing down for folks. I think we were getting ready to talk about the the first kill, which I think we can sum up pretty easily. I mean, it, like the punk girl is just <laughs> she's. A, a, let me put it this way: the the two girls, Isabel and Enid, are just they're equally horrible people. Ralph right. and and little you know, Ralph is just a big kid at heart. You got right. a little Judy who is just an adorable little kid, but everybody else in this movie are just horrible people. Right. I mean, David and Rosemary are are douchebaggy parents. And Isabel and Enid are just be opportunistic thieves. They're right. first thing, you know, they get left alone. I mean, they're not even shy about it. They're asking poor Hillary, like, is any of this worth anything? Or, you know, are they antiques? I always thought that, that, that yeah, line still great. gets to antiques. Yes, like, you mean like, yes. oh, antiques. That's what you mean. Like, Hillary doesn't even realize, I don't think, she's so lost in her own world as Hillary is, is that she doesn't even realize she's being mocked, I don't think. Right. Or, or she doesn't, she, obviously. Either she didn't get it or she wasn't letting it on that she got it. I don't think she cares because I know, I think she knows that they're goners. I think she knows that that, that these people are not going to hold up in the eyes of the dolls. So the right. dolls yeah. are going to get it. Let's face it, that's what the movie is about. The dolls judge people and whether or not they can trust you, whether right. or not you're like a, an adult or just a kid in disguise. I mean, that's one line that the Judy character uses with Ralph when they get kind of cornered by a bunch of the uh, dolls at one point, he's like, what are they doing? What are they saying? Cause they're always kind of whispering. They never really quite talk, talk. It right. was kind of whisper and jibber jabber to one another. And he's, and I think she says something to the effect like, well, I think they're judging right now to whether or not you're an adult or a big kid, kid in disguise. And he's like, Oh, I've been trying to figure that out for decades. Right. This poor right. Guy. And I, well, I think it lends itself think... again back to the fairy tale thing, where where in fairy tales the people that are doing something wrong they always get their just rewards, and yeah. and I think this is it's they're they're again they're morality tales to scare kids to let them know the world isn't all hunky dory because when they're kids you you know when you're kids you you want to shelter them you know a little bit you want to yeah. protect them and you want them to watch like. I don't know, Sesame Street, you don't want them to watch The Hills well, there's of Oz. a reason why, you, you know, you you let your kids believe in Santa Claus and the yes. Easter Bunny, things like that. Yes. Now, when I told my kid there was no Santa Claus, um, I told him the whole thing. And he was like, that just doesn't make any sense, Dad. I said, why is that? He said, then who the hell leaves us a presence? Oh, <laughs> gosh. That's... We do. Because what? I'm like, it was like, it was like the, the, it was like sitting in the theater during the Sixth Sense, and you're the one who knew what was going on. Nobody else did. You're like, oh, right, right. Jeez, come on, man. You know, but it's it. The the fairy tale aspects of it 
are that. And that woman knowing that those, those girls aren't going to make it is because she's like, I don't have to do anything here. I don't have to respond to your nastiness. Yeah. Right. Because, right. So I'm not, and they're not even worried about their house being thieved or burgled. They're not worried about any of that because they know whoever is a good person will be fine at the end of the, at the end of the night, in the morning. Bad people. The dolls will just take care of them, so they, you know, they might have to worry about a little collateral damage to the home or to the dolls. But they, they know they're not going to get away. They right. know they're not going to get away with anything valuable because the dolls would never allow that. And that's right. what happens. I mean, uh, Isabel goes off on a hunt. She even tells her, "Just keep the music going. Keep playing the music on the on the boombox. I'm mm-hmm. going to go hunt the place down. It'll cover me. You know, the sound will help cover me." And that's exactly what she does. She starts snooping around starts throwing things in her bag and what happens the dolls corner her and basically use her as a battering ram to, and then bludgeon her half to death by smacking her into a wall a bunch of times i mean yeah that's a super that, memorable kill that's a really memorable thing uh, i which, remember that was one of the uh clips they showed on the siskel and ebert show where i first where i first got clued into this movie they showed that kill and i think they were making Making an example of how brutal this film was, which of course we've covered is not, um, right. but it's very memorable though. I mean, actually, really, both those girls' kills are more memorable than than the mom or dad, who are more graphic and more elaborate. But I think the two girls getting killed are more are more memorable. Well, you know, the other girls kill uh, Enid's. You know, when she comes across the toy soldiers after she like had had beaten. Um, she had used her. I, I made a note of this that she had a Madonna's boy toy belt buckle that she used as a weapon, as a whip to to smash the dolls. Which I just I couldn't help like like <laughs> I recognize that goddamn thing. Yeah, it, it burned and emblazoned into my memory since the mid '80s. Oh yeah, but yeah, you know yeah. when she comes across the toy soldiers and she almost stops for a moment, like come on boys, let's 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 go. And then she stops, and they when they shoot her, you don't really think that it's going to leave these big. 44 magnum size holes in her right. you know it and it's done in a really i always say anytime i see a slow-mo shooting in a movie it's very john woo a very mm-hmm. sam peck and paw but it is you know it's very stylistically done i mean like when they fire the first round at her they even have a little drummer boy that's playing that you know his tune before they get ready to shoot when right they let with that second barrage when she turns and tries to run i mean they just yeah, there's a very, uh, very gory scene, but you know, it's all—it's very brief. You know, well, what I mean, it's, for a movie- but it's memorable too. And I, I, one thing, another thing, I did not know, I did not realize that I learned from kind of studying this movie was that that technique of the guns being in frame, shooting, and those squibs going off was uh, fairly new and modern when that was shot. I did not know. Not that it wasn't squibs, but not sent. The way it was done, the way it was like synced, right? You know, like you had a gun in frame, the gun went off, and the squib went, and it went off perfectly the way it was supposed to. Now, it wasn't elaborated on a technique or anything, but I did not know that that was sort of a new thing, and that 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 is why that effect might seem like it stands out today. Like it's effective, but it's not really creative. Well, it was then, right? Because apparently, it, it, one it of the very innovative. Yeah, 
I thought but they I didn't even realize that then. And- I didn't realize it then because I didn't know. I didn't realize you weren't seeing things and frame together and stuff. You know, I know in the in the fifties they wouldn't. That was one of the rules. You couldn't show the gun and the person getting shot in the same frame, or like the forties or something when they had the uh, the um, the haze or the uh, oh god damn oh, it. I know, the, I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of the name of it either. Uh, yeah, the kind of like the like they had like the, the haze code, code. The haze code. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. So, so when they, but yes. So, I didn't know that either. And but for some reason, I think it's that you're like, it's hard to it's 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 hard to wrap your head around these little dolls are enough to take a person out because you kind of look at them like you know I I'd, I'd probably punt one of those. Yeah, I don't think I I'd let them that dolls thing like a, me. You know, all the way across the room and destroy it. Right, but right. you know, it's it's not towards that you know towards this ending that you realize that they are little creatures inside the dolls, and they're not just kind of you know paper mache and plastic. Well, that's so true. I think that, but I think those little guns making that much damage to that girl. It, yeah, it those of, things should have done the damage of like a pellet gun, really. Yes, and so you start getting the idea that these things are more powerful than they appear. But it's like long before you realize just kind of what is going on and what uh, Gabriel and Hillary kind of have in store for everybody because they don't really re- reveal the what their end game is. Right. You know, is, is to capture criminals and wrongdoers and evildoers and keep them as. Yeah, you know, I never really caught that a whole lot. I always thought it was a little more ambiguous than that, too. And I know that you were, I think that. I think you were kind of pointing that out in the in the little story synopsis. That might might have been a little. Uh, that might have been the way they saw it. That's not the way I saw it. I mean, I kind of like I saw it as people. It, it was a yeah, it was like a fairy tale. I mean, people who would happen by, they would offer whatever you want. But if you're going to stay here, there's these dolls here. You know, we make these dolls, but and they don't. It isn't like you ever see them making any money or selling the dolls to anyone. They just make them. I find that pretty interesting too. You know, well, they yeah, just they, make dolls. They never, they never fully explain what a hundred percent what their end game is. You know, you mm-hmm, you're left mm-hmm. kind of like assume it on your own, which I love because then we get conversations like these where like, well, I thought this. Well, I was thinking it was more or less this. I mean, really, at the end, uh, it's it's almost like a you know like uh, when Judy is reading her Hansel and Gretel book. It, it's it's trying to entice a child to come and stay. I mean, at the end, you know, the only two that are left alive, I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but we jumped all over. The right. only two characters that are left is Judy. Her parents are gone. Uh, the two girls, Enid and uh, Isabel are gone. And Ralph is left and Ralph was deemed okay. Even though he uh, d- damaged quite a few dolls in one fit of rage, which felt like a very weird scene. It was the one time he kind of like, broke character as Ralph for a little bit. He was just like fed up and like, okay, fuck it. I'm plowing through these motherfuckers and stomping. Well, I think they were showing that he still is an adult, even if he's still a kid at heart, that, that you you can't be completely a kid. You have to have some sort of, and and the the movie it's right. It's correct. I mean, you have to also be an adult. You have to treat other people right. like adults and stuff. And I think at that point, he was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm getting out of here. And then yeah, like, he they're was like, overtaking I- him, though. And she's the one who saves him. So it's a little, little girl. And she says, no, he was wrong. He made a mistake. Or whatever she was saying, you know. And he didn't do it anymore. But I think had Ralph continued to do that, they would have just t- took him out. And it's almost like, uh, 
oh, you know, like the, oh, how wasn't RoboCop supposed to be designed where he only could shoot someone who was holding a gun at him? You know, oh, so it's he, almost like the dolls he aren't could harm those that were harming others, and yeah, I forgot what all his. There's like a protocol, over. and if like yeah. if, if there if, if there's a weapon or he's, he's danger, then he's gonna retaliate basically. And these dolls seem to retaliate to yeah, they seem to retaliate to violence because really the girl starts swinging the the belt around, you know, and stuff, and and the and the even if even if like, the dolls are crawling on you. And you just go, ah, and you knock them off the bed. You're still hurting them. Right. Right. They didn't do anything to you. You're still hurting them. So they're going to get mad and attack you. And that's kind of like the dolls themselves are like, are like uh, children without very good discipline. They want to play with you. But if you don't want to play their way, they're going to kill you. You know, so that's creepy, too. I mean, that's an old kind of creepy thing. But well, what I was getting at was at the end was the end game of uh, the Hartwicks. You know, because mm-hmm. they they try to entice Judy and Ralph to stay. Right. And they're like, you can stay here for as long as you like. You can play with our dolls as much as you like. You don't have to leave. And it's just like, why were they trying to keep them there? You know, that was the, the end game that I was wondering about. Like, why were they trying so hard? With, did they just like their company? Were they just really creepy and expressing it? Or was, was there an ultimate... Uh, you know, evil endgame to the to it all. I per- you know? personally, the way I always read that was they were teasing them. I, I honestly read that it, it was a little humor. It was them going, "Oh, but you can stay here." They know they're scared. You know, yeah. like, "Oh, you can stay here if you like." And they were just—it was a little like uh, interspousal humor. Like you and your <laughs> wife might be sitting at a convention, you both laugh at something no one else knows about. And and I think right. that they were having that kind of moment because. If they really wanted to keep them, there wasn't much of a problem. Well, yeah, and it seemed like that they were kind of pulling the strings everywhere. I mean, look, when you... When, no pun intended? Yeah, you're right, right. No, actually, it might have been for, fairly intended, actually. But they, <laughs> they, when you think about the storm and how they said, oh, sometimes storms just come here as long as they do, and you realize that they're really witches. And that, because and, they laugh at each other when they say witches. I kind of wondered that myself. Well, they, I they, always kind of wondered. They indirectly tell you that they're witches because they say, well, they, no, they do directly tell you. They say, you know, oh, so you figured it out. And they, and they, and they go through the whole thing and they tell you this is what's happening. And when the dad gets turned into a Mr. Punch, that's, that's clearly a witch's spell. That's clearly them making that happen. And so, but they never harm Ralph and they never harm the little girl. And to be frank with you, they never really harm anybody. Yeah, the dolls yeah. do all the harming. Absolutely, I mean, the only, right. The only one they really do anything to is the dad, David. I mean, they pretty much, well, I mean, they don't physically do it. The dolls take all take care of all that. Right. But, you know, like, they relish in the fact that as they turn, uh, they turn David into another doll. They turn him, in, well, he'd already had destroyed Mr. Punch with a mallet. At this point, right. with Mr. Punch, all of which we haven't mentioned, some of them have names, some of them don't. Uh, right. but Mr. Punch doll is a doll that uh, Gabriel and Hillary give to little Judy because she was missing her teddy bear. That the, as the poor child lost him in the forest, as 
the evil right. Rosemary right. said, no, nah, bitch, right. you fucking threw that thing in the woods just to be an evil cunt. Right. right. And let's, right. let's get to that. It's one thing I don't want to skip over as we're winding down here. Yeah. Rosemary has one of the best death scenes. Like, she just gets obliterated, stabbed, bitten, sawed on by these little puppets that are just taking her down and notch here and there. But I don't understand how she goes out. Like, she goes to run and jump over a group of the dolls to try to jump over them, but then she makes this Superman leap out the window, out of the second or third story window, and just falls to her death. I never quite understood, like, where that propulsion came from you know <laughs> yeah or the i or what was she trying to accomplish there like you don't to me i like, guess it looks like she was trying to jump over the dolls and she meant to go through the windows to escape which doesn't sound like a good idea because she could have turned around and ran the other way but yeah it seemed more practical to run in the other direction yeah it did i just think that was one of those weird fairy tale-esque moments where like you're just showing how far in reality you're not based here you're not because i never yeah i i never really kind of her death to me is bizarrely unmemorable too like every time i I see that initial attack scene i love the attack scene when they first start Uh attacking but right. like the end of it, the actual death is is not known. It's not very memorable. But it's when they start biting and sawing and using their little weapons and daggers on her. I like that aspect, but right. it has very little payoff. Right. Well, I think the thing with that is that it's not very it's not very creative. Like you expect dolls to attack a woman that way. You don't expect them to shoot <laughs> one of the girls. Yeah. You don't expect them to use them as a battering ram against the floorboard or something. You don't expect that. You don't expect the guy to get turned into the Mr. Punch. That was an interesting little twist that would happen. You know, you don't, ex- but you do expect them to attack that way. You know, they, yeah. and, and they, and they kind of attack in every way you expect a doll to attack a person. If you should so expect a doll to attack a person, I guess they, every yeah. way you think they could do it, they do it to her at one time, every single way, getting her ankles, uh, you know, jumping on her from above, uh, getting her in the back. Yeah, you know? they do it. So they almost get through all of these, all of the uh, uh, been there, done that's, I guess you could say, or this is what you expect. They get through it with her and they, and they let her have it. But what I'm saying is there's so many things that happen like that, but, there, but I don't ever, it doesn't stick with me. I don't go through life like if you ask me about dolls, the first thing I think of is that girl's face getting battered, battered, and I think about the giant. I actually think about the giant teddy bear in the storm, and uh, and I love Guy Ralph, and it's uh, great. He's so regal in the film. Yes, he had a, yeah. he had a very he had a presence kind of like uh, like like Vincent Price a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, and he made you want them to be good people. Because you liked his character. He was one of the only likable characters in the movie. And, and he is likable, I think. He, you're scared of him. Because you think he's just likable to, to lure you in. Which on some level he is. But I think the wife is the real dark soul of this. And I think Guy Rolf is a gentler soul. Yes. She has story. a more evil queen kind of vibe to him. And he's more or less, to me, kind of like a Merlin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, because there is the creepy scene where it's just one shot and one scene, and it's never really 
expanded upon when uh, Enid is in the hallway and she's looking around for her friend. And she sees uh, Hillary coming down the hallway in her nightgown, pushing a baby carriage with singing to it like it's a doll, like like it's a real baby. And, mm-hmm. But it's just a doll. It's pretty creepy. I, I, that's why I kind of think there was something to be said that that maybe they couldn't have children. And this was a reason for them to kind of stay. Oh, yeah, yeah, young. yeah. I think that that's implied, too. I do. As much as I think yeah. that ends, as much as I think that end is implied, it's a it's a joke. It's it's a joke just to scare them to get really to scare them away because they're they're done with them they want to they want to have their peace now, I mean to me that's yep. what I think that's what they're doing at the end and, and and as much as what you're saying about them not being able to have children I think that that I'm trying to remember if that's actually even muttered in that movie it might be we couldn't have children of our own so we did this I you know it almost seems but even if it's not I think it is just yeah I, you I might be right you know, I mean I'm just saying night, I, I know there's things muttered in movies I miss. I'm either oh, yeah, having just, a smoke or having a drink or, or saying something to my wife or doing something. I could miss a word or two if it's that. But it was never honed in on. That's for damn sure. It was left for your interpretation if it wasn't stated. And if it was, it was so brief, it's, it's almost the same thing anyway. But I do agree that they were clearly, I mean, to me, they could have been hundreds of years old. And they might you know, have been. Yes. So that's where I'm going with it. I'm going with it. This is a fairy tale with witches, with goblins, with I, they say it. Yeah, they say no what's happening. Witches and yeah. goblins. No, no more elves. No more fairies. Yes, yes. The little people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you're, it's all you're, very magical. Yes. So you could almost see. You could you could almost see the Hillary Mason character as Mother Goose. I never thought of it that way, but you're right. You know, so you know, and, and it seems like old Guy Ralph is is the the conscience of everything, and he's he's the only one who warns anybody. He's the only one that says, you know, hey, sometimes it's better to be a kid. You know, like he's like, hey, watch out. She's kind of like, oh, oh, oh yes, go ahead and rob me blind. You'll never see the light of day again. You know, so he's kind of like, you might not want to do that, you know. (laughs) He's essentially just spending time with Ralph and and Judy. I think he knew good people when he's seen them, you know, and, you know, he knew Ralph was a good person and a kind soul and that he wasn't going to be any trouble. I think he may be a little bit worried, but I don't think there was much worry there. They knew they had the dolls to keep everything under control. Because, I mean... I mean, as as we see by the end, everybody that has been killed from David and Rosemary and Enid and uh, Isabel have all been turned into dolls with ultimately uh, David, the father, being turned into the new Mr. Punch. Because they even make a joke that like they're giving him Mr. Punch's original old hat. Like, do you think this will you know work well with his modern, you know, wardrobe? And they just kind of to each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It yeah. does culminate in that ending, you know, where you think everybody's going to get it. You think Ralph's going to get it. And you pretty much know, it, in, unless the father gets his hands on Judy, she's going to make it because, yeah, oh, sure. uh, right. horrible fucking parents in this movie. Hor- horrible yeah. fucking parents. Yeah, I mean, this they're like, like the worst kind of parents. Yeah, because we're all bad and, parents. I'm a bad parent. Right, I yeah, everybody's, everybody's bad. bad parents. But this He's is like, like aggressive. Like, this is like going like, out of your way to be. Going like, out of your way to be physically and emotionally abusive. Yeah, you know? it's it, you know really the only way to like like my kid can't stand me because I'm always on shit. 
You just like my dad was always on my shit. And the only way you can really be not a good parent is to never care about your kid's shit. And that is where these people are. They're, she is a burden to them because they're stuck with her. And yeah, that's they clear. Just on a vacation, and they, they say at the be- beginning, at one point, like, hey, I know you don't like spending your summers with me, and I don't like it either. And it's like, right. what a horrible thing to say to an eight to ten year old little girl you know like talk about crushing you know your your daughter's heart i mean i don't have children but i I think i i may not know of all the right things to say but i think i also know what not to say yeah it's not a a good one right that's not something you want to yeah make your kid you know like diminishing your kid's self-worth right and she like another thing i saw Stuart gordon talking about her too and you know he they were saying that they they saw a bunch of child actors, of course, you know, and they're you know they're looking at people for these movies. They have a lot of people come in and read, of course, hundreds and hundreds, you know. And they said the thing with her was that she really wasn't that great. Like she's not a Hollywood. They, they, they said she's not a Hollywood kid. She didn't hit everything no. perfect. She wasn't, but but they showed innocence and vulnerability in her. That the Hollywood kids. She had didn't. something in her eyes that showed that innocence, you know, that yes. being wide, starry eyed kind of look. Right. She's not a great actor, but that's the way kids act. I think the really good kid actors don't act like kids, they act like adults in little bodies. And I think that that's for our benefit, not for another kid's. You know, I mean, if, if, I'm sorry, but there's like, even if you watch like E.T. and stuff, it's like, man, that kid got away with shit I never would have even dreamt of. You know? How did he have, oh, no you know, I mean, you know, you, you identify with their age, but then when you actually see what they're doing, you're like, this kid's like the smartest kid I've ever seen in my life. You know, <laughs> Like, I don't know. It's like the Tommy Jarvis in, in, uh, in Friday 4 where he's making all these masks and stuff. And he's like this little kid. I'm like, wow, man. Well, you make me feel like I'm a dumb twelve-year-old. I can't do that. Yeah, no know. shit. Yeah, it's like I girl. I had a butterfly collection, right? That, that's all <laughs> I. <laughs> I collected baseball cards. I got a rock collection, but I only found two rocks so far. <laughs> I've been looking for four years, but they just don't really I catch have my attention. Of, <laughs> you know, I got a collection of pennies. I'm up to eleven now. Yeah, right, right. So, but with her. They said she was really so vulnerable and didn't really know it's much like she just, it was natural and she was more natural. Right. And I think it kind of comes off as a little stilted acting sometimes, but you know, I have kids and that's kind of how they act. They act like stilted actors. They're trying to act well, more adult, but they don't know how to, you know? Well, and, I felt like she wasn't a great actress, but she was a good actress. She was, you know, there's a difference between being good and being great. She was she casted well. She was perfect yeah. for the role. That's what I'm trying to say. And yeah. I think that the rest of the act, the rest of the cast too. I think we were saying earlier was perfect for the roles. And now most of those people too were in what Stuart Gordon's like the acting troupe he knew up in Chicago. They they were just they were all friends of his. And and that's like like apparently like the uh, Ian and uh, and uh, Carolyn had played spouses many times on stage before. And well, that's why and it works so well. Stephen Lee had, had uh, became part of that troupe as, as well because I know he was in several. I'm not remember how many, but he was in three or four of um, Stuart Gordon's films. Mm-hmm. I know he was in uh, Pit in the Pendulum. I think he was in. Uh, oh God, no, he wasn't in D- Dagon. I don't think. 
I don't think he was. Well, there, was there was a couple others. I'm. I'm yeah, I remember. I remember him in, in the pit, pit pendulum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one. I, I want to say he was in Robot Jocks or Robot Wars or one of those. But mm-hmm. um, he, he deserved a better not, career. I think. I think he deserved a. Um, uh, I think he deserved to be more famous than he was. Um, well, you know, like I had done a little studying up on a couple of things, and he seemed like such a fun-loving guy. Like I watched the behind-the-scenes on the dolls. He seemed like he was a big kid. Like playing Ralph mm-hmm. was something that he was meant to play. Right. And I yeah. think. It, it goes to say again how good the casting was in this because Ralph was the character that that screamed out to me like like I always thought like when I was a child and I watched this movie like I'm gonna be like Ralph when I grow up I'm just gonna be a big kid and you don't realize like how much work that really is to try to remain a big kid is easier just to be a grumpy ass old man right well he was like <laughs> a, he was he kind of reminds me of a um um uh, who am I thinking of here? I um, like a, a Chris Farley type, but yes, he can. But he can. He isn't a hundred percent goofball. Like, and, and, and I, I mean, no disrespect to Chris Farley because I know that he was a a, tr- a tragic guy, and I know that he wanted he, every, all these comedic actors wanted to prove they can act, and I know he could. I know he would have done wonderful things had he lived. So I don't mean anything by this, but I just mean perceptionalized. This is all I'm saying. And for Stephen right. Lee's benefit, is that I think that he could have been like a Chris Farley who you would have bought quicker and easier to have those dramatic moments because he proves that here in this movie. And what the little roles I've seen him in, he's been kind of like a comic relief guy. I think that's pretty much what he is in Pit and the Pendulum, right? Isn't he like one of the guards or something? He's yeah, he's the guy whips. who's like, uh, yeah, and he's kind of like the guy who like, quote unquote, brings out the dead and whatnot yes. and yeah, he's pretty much the him and Jeffrey Combs are the you know comic relief in that movie. Right, right. So, which we're covering yeah. in another week here on another show, mm. <laughs> actually. You know, it's so funny about that movie. Just real quick too is I, I when I came out, I I liked it, I did, and I've seen it since, and I've been I couldn't have been more disappointed by how a movie held up uh, than seeing that movie. Um, I don't know what it is. It looks amateurish to me. It looks cheap. It looks just nothing like it did when I saw it when it came out. I mean, and I don't know. I mean, this to me is a perfect example for my taste. What did not hold up like at all. Like to me, that movie did not hold up whatsoever. That's my opinion, of course, of it. And I like everybody involved in it a lot. Everybody. I root for that movie. And I love Edgar Allan Poe. I have a, a Raven tattooed on me. I am a Poe guy. I love all of this. Everything involved. Stuart Gordon. Everything. I love. I can't. I just. Uh, yeah. Oh, oof. I don't know Sometimes why. it just doesn't hold up. Um, I think it holds up very well. I actually have procured it on Laserdisc. Again, I'm talking about my Laserdisc collection. But I got it off of eBay a couple of months ago for something cheap, like mm-hmm. seven, $7 or $8, $9. And it was still sealed, still brand new. So it was just kind of thrilling to get to open it. I, I still think it it holds it holds up really well. What mm-hmm. doesn't hold up for me is the humor, the the straight edge kind of moments of it, where it's just torture and you know torquemada and just more torture and the Inquisition, is is great stuff. But when like and I like you know Stephen Lee in it, but his mm-hmm. character and uh, the character of Tom Towles, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. the character that um, uh, Jeffrey Combs plays, they're all played very comically, and it feels very out of place. It felt like it would have been better if it had been just a a straightforward movie without the comedic elements. Right. And I'm all, all about uh, horror comedies. I, I like them I, when when done well, but right. that that aspect of it didn't age well for me because I was just like, eh, just. You know, people are being drawn and quartered over here. Yeah, and that, burnt yeah, at the exactly. stake, and it's like I don't get this humor. It just, yeah, just didn't. Yeah, make yeah. Sense. And so I think that 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 is also a huge. And you bring it up, and as you're talking about it, you reminded me. Yeah, that was a huge thing for me too. That that I think that I did like it when I was a kid, and yeah. I don't like that at all anymore. I, I didn't. I just this was. It was just really. It's just one of the movies that's a time capsule to me. That right. I can't, I can't identify with anymore. Or something like that. Um, now, that, on the other hand, nostalgia that you just can't recapture. I guess. Yeah. On the other hand, like dolls, like the humor holds up really good, really good. Well, you know, like it's yeah. like it's wonderful, and Stephen Lee's great in it. And it's like, oh yes, and this movie could have been made last year, and I wouldn't have really known much of a difference except for the CGI shots, I guess, and stuff like that. But really, I mean, with with the exception of the the only thing that could could be taken out of like uh, the timeline, you know, because it wouldn't have fit in was the boombox, because who carries a boombox anymore? Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, really, other than that, the movie is not very dated. I mean, it is dated, but it, mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I love well, the creepy. Yeah. End. You know, I, I love the creepy ending, though, where Gabriel and, and Hillary are trying to get them to stay. I, I think that's one thing where we might differ in, on an opinion on that. I definitely think they had something nefarious planned for them because they were I don't think it was a mockery. I think it was highly just a moment of, you know, stay with us, stay with us forever. And, you know, it's just, yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I I mean, I just think they kind of leaned in and leaned back and looked at you. So like, oh, there they go. You know, like they had they if they would have stayed there, would they have let them? Absolutely. I don't think they would have. I don't think they would have done anything bad to them. I just think they would have wanted they, they were. It's showing their mania. They want people there to play with their toys. And so they wanted to keep them there to play with their toys because their toys were so lonely because they had no friends. And so that's a creepy idea and a creepy thought for sure. But I don't, I think if they wanted them to stay for any reason for real, I don't think given the powers they had, they had any, they would have had any problems keeping them there. I mean, they basically were, they had their car fixed and everything for them. They gave them the way out. You know, I mean, yeah, they that's said the one thing go, I want to know. I want to know how they got. I mean, did they employ the help of the thousand and one dolls that were there to pull the car out of the mud? But uh, yeah, that, that was a plot hole that I always thought to myself, how did they get the car out of the mud? These two old, you know, fossils. Well, see, and again, I kept reading all of this as to their witches. They, yep. they, they have yeah, power. Yeah. They're witches. They have power. They can do it. That's why I think. If they really wanted to do something to them, they could have easily have allowed Ralph to stay unconscious. They could have easily have made sure the car wasn't fixed so they could stay at least to play with the dolls instead of run off. But they allowed them to run off. They said go. And they even gave the dad back to the little girl. And she didn't yeah. know that. I mean, they had no idea. So they gave the dad. So they, they, the way I saw it is they cleansed the room. They took care of all the people that were hurting each other, and they 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 gave them what they deserved, 
which is still a horror movie thing. I mean, really, honestly, who are you to judge, right? They're judging everyone, even if it's through their dolls, but they judge too. And they judge that, they judge that dad hardcore when he comes down. So I don't think, I don't, and they don't, it wasn't like they had a rope around the dad when they turned him into Mr. Punch. Yeah. You know, was, they just did it. They just did it. It with just their, happened. And, and it, there's they, no explanation. It's just, there's an otherworldly power there. They never, you know, they don't douse him in a chemical. They don't hit him over the head with something. He just all of a sudden starts kind of becoming, becoming the doll. It just starts to overcome. And, and, well, see, and, see if you think, go back and look at that again, that whole last sequence you're talking about and the way it's shot. Where the dad and transforms. That too. Yeah. But see, watch the camera work. To me, the camera work is talking. So to me, like when they're leaning in, to the dad, they're using their brain powers, their brain waves, their scans. They're using their powers, their witches. They're using their evil magic, and they're doing this to him at that moment with their minds, with their magic. That's what they're doing. They start leaning in at the end to Stephen Lee and to the little girl, like they're going to do the same thing to them, but they don't. Right. So it's almost yeah. like a... Yeah, would you like to stay with us? So they're almost scaring them off and making fun of them and having a laugh at their expense. After yeah, I might all, just have to, it. I might have to rewatch it again, given all this yeah. kind of new yeah. information and whatnot. And that's what I saw. I mean, and, uh, to be honest with you, since I was a kid seeing it, that's how I always read it and always saw it. I actually thought it was perfectly wrapped up in a bow, almost too perfect. To where the little girl goes, are you married? Yeah, <laughs> like oh, um, we can leave that part out. You know, it's like just like, like yeah, like but, but it's like oh, my mom's not married. She's young and very pretty. And he's like, huh? Like really? And that <laughs> since we're at the end, we got to talk about before we sum up everything. We got to talk about that last shot. It was definitely setting things up for a sequel because we get that kind of wide panoramic shot of the house and what happens. Another car full of rich asshole parents right. show up get their car stuck and they get out the dad is, is, is this a long wide shot and you don't really hear much of the conversation It's very muffled but the wife and the, the husband get out of the car they're screaming and yelling at each other they're practically throwing punches at each other they drag their two children out of the car and they're really like the 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 mother is really manhandling the son and just kind of jerking him every which way i'm so surprised she didn't pull his arm out of the shoulder mm -hmm. out of socket mm -hmm. but it's I'm walking towards the house, almost the same setup, another family. And, you know, the parents are going to get judged. You just know it, even though it never happened. But it was a perfect way to end it. It was a perfect way to get that sequelitis, as I call it, in there. And be like, here you go. This is what we may go into on in the next one. But, again, sadly it never happened, but maybe it was for the better. Yeah, and and I think that you that, that little end end moment too could even put it even more into fairy tale land and make you even and i mean nothing by saying fairy tale land and then and then explaining it this way to anyone who would say is a person of faith let's say that but you can almost say that this would be like a uh, purgatory and do you graduate to heaven or hell thing. yeah and so these people are all being dropped off because we had seen amicus movies from the 70s like british movies where like a bunch of people have their little like anthology stories and they find out they're all like being judged you know and things like that so it could be it could be that kind of thing where ralph and the little girl get to go to heaven you know and because they're they they get to go away but these other people are stuck in hell with the creepy yeah. old people and stuff you know so you could see it that way it's clear yep. 
Right. It's clear, I think, also with that car stopping and those right immediately, it's also clear where all the dolls came from. That this is a place that people get stuck at. Huh. Wonder why. Again, leading back to the fact that they make it happen. The witches do. They make it happen. They make sure that car breaks down if it drives by or something, you know, so those people have to come there. And I think the sequel thing, his idea about, about having, the, having the, the old couple get sent to them, now a family, as dolls, opens itself up to them being much e- more evil than we think. It opens up that possibility that that could have happened, but it never did. So we're yep, sort of left we're with left to wonder. Absolutely. So what's fun about it is that you're not wrong and I'm not wrong. But if you if you're curious about how you feel, there's a, another way of looking at it. Like that's the way I see it. Like and I see it as clear as a bell. So that's that. So so for me, I'm trying to think of how you see it too. So I'll have to watch it and look at it the way you're looking at it. But I think yeah, I know I'm what you're saying. Gonna give it. A, I'm going to yeah. give it another watch because I. Again, hadn't looked at it from that point of view, and I, I haven't seen it with a new set of eyes. Maybe I'll see what you were seeing too. So, that's again, uh, that another... was a good one. A new set of eyes. I like that. <laughs> you didn't even know you did that. You didn't even know you did that. That was good. Are you going to hold them next to your head when you watch it? <laughs> no, no, no. My, <laughs> I don't pop out as easily as they used to. <laughs> I might get a little. Well, getting old sucks, out. man. Mine don't pop um, out either anymore. I didn't even realize I did that. That, Folks, that was completely unintentional because anytime <laughs> I say anything witty, witty it is completely unintentional. <laughs> Speaking yeah, of witty, um, yes. let's give our final re- review and ratings here, and then we can get the hell on out of here. We've been chatting yeah. up, up, up a storm, and actually there's a storm brewing outside. It's starting to thunder and lightning and rain, so I don't know That's how. crazy. There is here, too. I'm not yeah, it just started. Yeah. I knew it was coming before the first crack of thunder because uh, both my cats came into the room and uh, started meowing uh, around. They your, like your barometers is what they yep. are. I see. Yes. Yeah. So, let me so what's, what's your rating system again? Is it a, a, one, a one, scale, to one to ten? One to ten. Yeah. Scale All from right. one to ten, and uh, as the rules go, guests go first. Okay. Uh, ten. Ten perfect out of ten. Film. Perfect film. It's a perfect gentle horror movie or dark fantasy. How you want to look at it. Uh, the humor is perfectly placed. It is perfectly cast. Uh, I think it's shot beautifully. Um, I wouldn't even change the aspect ratio of it. I think it is Stuart Gordon's masterpiece. Nice. Plain and simple. I, I agree on, on some certain levels. Um, my rating is a little bit lower. I'm coming in at an eight and a half, which is still, I think, fairly solid and fairly oh. high. But, yeah. But yeah. I, I agree. Like it is perfectly cast. Every character. I mean, it's a very small cast. You know, there's what like eight main people, eight characters, not counting the puppets and the, the dolls. Uh, everything is cast well. Stuart Gordon is. He's just a master, or he he was a master. You know, rest in peace. Stuart Gordon was a master of his craft. No matter how he tackled the subject matter, from something like dolls to Reanimator to fortress or what have you he was just uh, every 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 film i have ever seen by him was a masterpiece and this is no exception it's one of the the best that uh empire ever had to offer yeah and um it's beautifully crafted i love the music uh the the score is great the location is great the setting um yeah all around great film eight and a half out of ten 
Cool. Excellent. And don't forget to check out King of the Ants, the, the Stuart Gordon movie that I was talking about you hadn't seen yet. You'll find it at least interesting. It's a, a very unique film. We'll put it that way. Okay, I definitely will. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, we are both uh, exhausted here, I think. At least yeah. I know I am. I've lost weight. <laughs> well, yeah, I've lost weight. I skipped over lunch entirely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I got dinner going in the crock pot before we, we, we started this thing, but I don't regret, regret a bit of it. I love these shows, no. and I've loved having you back on the show. Hopefully, it won't take another uh, two months to convince you to or well, to at least ask you to come back on the show and review another one of these silly movies. Well, I'm not shy about talking about movies, so there's no problem. I'm, I appreciate you having me on. It's an honor, and I'm glad I get to tell some more people in a different audience oh my cantankerous views on these movies and stuff like <laughs> that but i do love them i really do well, and, I, and I maybe we, I ought to, uh, we ought to just start up something called the cantankerous uh hour or something like that there you go yeah. i, I kind of identify with some of the grumpy old man point of views i guess right oh i got lots of them i got lots of them. Um, I, got, I i bought a cane not to help me walk but just to wave just a wave. That's it. So. I don't know if you heard that crack of thunder, but it completely just shook my whole house. Oh, well, why don't you get off there and, uh, yeah. and seek shelter? Will do. All right, folks. Yeah. Once again, you've been listening to Cinema Degeneration, and the show you have been listening to is Howling at the Full Moon, where we have covered the 1987 hit Dolls. And this, I am your host, Cameron Scott, and this has been my co-host, Tim O'Sabin, wishing you Bye. a fond farewell. Bye-bye. Toys are very low.